we'll see, right? Yeah. Depends oh. how many beers. Depends how many beers I've had. <laughs> All right, and we are live with Sick. John Pova. John <laughs> so, Pova. For the people who might not know who you are, who are you in uh, the BMX world today? Um, some old fart that just uh, loves BMX and uh, kind of doing freelance stuff for Etnies these days. Do a lot of ramp building. Um, general construction and just uh, kind of jack of all trades master of none that's the best way to be right yep that's that's what they say that's kind of how i try yeah. to be myself yeah yeah nice so maybe for anyone who also might not know or be new or coming back into bmx what's a little bit like the the history kind of brief history of the things you've done uh, what i've done um Originally, I'm, in, I'm from England, London, England. Um, was professional BMXer in the UK, then moved here in 89 because um, it was kind of a dead time in BMX and um, always thought I'd need a regular job, so I painted cars for a living. Uh, that was my trade from school. And then I got an opportunity to work for a ramp building company, and I, I was working for a company that did all the first X Games stuff. So for the first few years of the X Games, I worked for the company that did all the construction for that, that designed the ramps and all that good stuff. And I was kind of like the bike consultant for that. Then, um, obviously doing the competition, seeing like the BS series, the X Games, all that stuff, and the Gravity Games, I got got to become good friends with, you know, all the pros. So um, became good friends with Jamie Muron. Then the Schwinn program came around, and he recommended that I kind of manage the team and manage all the equipment and do all the, you know, taking care of all the tour stuff. And so I did that until they filed bankruptcy in 2001. And then 2002, I got a job at Etnies. Um, 2018, took a involuntary vacation from Etnies and then went back to ramp building. And then just recently, like in the last two years, they kind of brought me back freelance just to kind of keep industry relationship, relations going and like kind of be the go-between between the t team riders, taking care of um, making sure they got what they need and just keeping relationships good with the brand. Nice. Yeah. That is a very concise history <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I could go on for hours, but yeah, I would just try to like uh, give you a synopsis. Yeah, so... So one thing, I, and anytime I do one of these with somebody who uh, has a nice, rich history in BMX, I ask my buddy Sponge what yep. we should talk about because I don't think you would know this or not. But like growing up in BMX, I know nothing. At least I knew nothing. Like I didn't. I wasn't a kid who's like diving into history or learning all of these things. So like learning about you is what's happening right now for me. So. So it's cool to talk to you and not have all this crazy background info. But one thing that he brought up was uh, you're the team manager for Etnies. Was it during both grounded and forward, just one or the other? I, c I came in in the last third of forward. Okay. And then all of grounded and then also chapters in that came out 2017. Right. Cool. So, so you came into it during forward that would have been before anyone else saw it because it was in progress yeah what i wonder about with that is like did you did you know that something special was being made at the time 
it's a weird one because when you're like in, when you're in it and dealing with it like you're, you're not seeing the end the result on film and, and like i don't i don't think sometimes you realize how special something is like if you go to like hoffman estates when matt rode the big quarter pipe you're watching it and you're in awe of it but you don't realize that the the impact it has until years later you know yeah like, so i can look i can look at forward now and i'm like oh man, that was just a work of art you know peric did an amazing job at the time there were situations in there where like you're pulling your hair out because it's like you're getting pissed off at people and like people ain't doing what they're supposed to do and Peric's a pain in the ass and like situations are kind of like difficult but then you got to stand back and realize the impact like some of these riders had you know like Taj, Joe, Ruben, Rooftop, like Griffin, Stricker like all those dudes like you know they're on the team for a reason they're you know some of the most legendary riders ever so Edwin, oh my god, I can go for days, you know? Yeah, well that's... Tirada. That's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, how, was it that legendary group of people before, like, you got involved? Were they all already together? Yeah, pretty much. It was, it was... So long story short, it was Rifthub, is the, he, he formed the team, essentially. He's the one that started the Etnis program. Um, he was friends with a bunch of skaters. And then I think Griffin was the first dude on the team. And then at some point, he was too busy, so he wanted to keep, he wanted to ride more than he wanted to manage the team. And it was one was infringing on the other, so he's like, um, they hired Nate Hansen, um, who was actually on the team also. Um, but that, for whatever reason, it wasn't working out. So mm-hmm. um, they just hit me up, and I was, I'm good friends with Nate and Rooftop, so I didn't really want to. You know step on their toes and also i was making sure that the team was cool with me coming in um and taking over nate's position because i didn't want to you know i was like it was like jumping in his grave you know what i mean right um but yeah it's a pretty like stepping into that group of people i was very cautious of it i was like wary of the fact that who these dudes are because i knew you know Obviously, I'm a big fan of all of them, and I realize the impact they've had on the sport, even at that time. So I stepped into that with just being very cautious. But as time went by, you obviously build relationships and just gain people's trust. And I've always been a bit of a um, like a chameleon in, in a way, because when you deal with different personalities, you've kind of got to deal with people on their level too. So just taking things easy, and I eased into that position, and hopefully, I would hope that I was accepted and, and you know the rest is history yeah that's that's cool to hear that you kind of knew what you were getting into with that group of people even at that yeah. time yeah when this video that would go on to be something that people talk about today even yeah for sure and we'll talk about into the future so so then it comes into time to do uh, grounded mm. it did you by that time was the some of the impact of forward being felt where do you like kind of recognize that it was you guys did something awesome yeah yeah i mean it was i think it was it was a the best um, like the, the the team was at its peak you know like they they had the best riders and every time we picked up new riders like i had good relationships with a lot of people so we always made sure we had the most credible riders the most impactful riders um I've always been an advocate for making sure that we have people that are marketable, not just a good rider on a bike. Because, you know, you know, nowadays yep. it's like a dime a dozen. So you have to pick people that are marketable. Um, 
and obviously we had dudes like Bestwick and, and Morgan and, and like you know the sports progressing it was one of the high points in in the like early mid 2000s when we were working on on a grounded and it was only five six years after you know Ford came out so um, it wasn't too, it wasn't too much time we worked started working on it pretty quick you know yeah that's that's cool so so did it how did the uh, did the lineup change much between there or was there just additions some of this say there was some additions I mean like let's we used Tarada for example he kind of you know faded away a little bit and um, he kind of took himself out of the limelight so to speak yeah um, you know there's you know obviously Ruben and Joe and Taj and those kind of guys was pretty staple you know yeah but then we also also like you know at that point in time like it was the peak of like x games and do tours and we were like you know really um they were looking for like and was kind of looking for that podium dude so me being from england having a relationship with jamie it was pretty easy to kind of convince him to come on board um and he obviously did a phenomenal job during his reign as vert champion or whatever you want to call it king but right like <laughs> I mean, to, yeah i mean so there was there was a, there was the the it, there was maybe a little bit of a change in the guard there was the guys who were you know the fully established as etnies writers like they were synonymous with the brand mm-hmm. and then you, you had guys like you know when morgan was coming up he was freaking a heavy hitter and like just going bigger than most people so um yeah just i guess it was just additions to the team it wasn't necessarily like a you know full change yeah yeah i mean there's no doubt the impact that both of those videos have had on bmx and it's cool kind of to get the backstory behind it so so if you if you're making grounded five six years after forward comes out you kind of see the impact that it's making is there pressure on your end to try and make something just as good or do you like just rely (laughs) on the guys to do their thing uh not for me there's no pressure on me i'm not the one writing it's, yeah it's all it's all on ruben and, and uh like the dudes you know like and we try to give them every opportunity to do like what they needed to do to produce a really good video part like you know there's the one like last move that ruben does in his part where he go, does that war right over the bridge in, in yeah. santa monica that was like three three years in the making that like he came to the u.s like four times Every time we go there, there'd be a gate closed, or there was a car in the way, or he got hurt. Like the, the the final time we got to do that, there was a car in the way that was for sale. So we called the number and got got to test drive the car just to get the car out of the way, and that was how that was how we got it, you know. Wow. And then there's other scenarios like the Bestwick's part where the vert ramps in the desert, insane. That's Tony Hawk's ramp, um, and they were filming a Jeep commercial, and we just kind of asked if they could set it up a few days early and we would go out there and you know get it done not realizing that about 10 a.m till about 4 p.m every day it is windy as shit out there and it's in the desert so we have to mop the ramp every hour like it was insane we had like a make had to make a makeshift shelter for the camera dudes because they all had high-tech equipment that would get damaged by the sand and it was a like it was up at up at 5:30 every morning. Jamie's out there riding by 6:30 or 7, just so we could avoid the wind. It was insane. Wow, that's yeah. wild. And obviously, you don't want to do a bad job making a video, so you're trying to do no. the best best you can. No. 
No, I mean, and it's, I mean, I'm just, you know, there to help people get the job done. But like, we have the best people in place. Like at the time, Mike Manzuri. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's just one of the best in the game. You know, like you can't argue with what he does. So, uh, you you really rely on his vision for what the end product is because he's the one going to be sitting down editing this thing. Right. Right. That's yeah. He's definitely one of if one of the best at doing what he does. Yeah, and, and you, you, you know, any filmer will tell you, you know, we have submitted footage, which is always, you know, it's cool and all, but like trying to make it appear seamless in somebody's part is difficult because, like, like, like Stu, you know, filmed a lot of um, grounded, like a good chunk of it, and then Mike filmed some, and we had some submitted footage. So trying to make everything look seamless is always, you know, like when the, when a cult video happens, Vichy's doing pretty much the whole video, right? Right. Like, and there's somebody else press buttons, pressing buttons for a second angle and stuff. But when you haven't submitted submitted footage, it's like trying to make that all look like nice and and as as one is is sometimes difficult. And I know I know like filmers and they're not huge fans of it, but you know you you deal with it and make do with what you got. Yeah, and and when I talked to Vish, he kind of talked about how the style of cult video lends to getting that yeah. submitted footage because he's doing so much crazy stuff with it that he can yeah. he can yeah. make it work but when you're talking about something where it's like people like Stu and Mike especially who are trying to just do the best like make it look as good as it possibly yeah. can and then you have yeah. something that somebody randomly filmed but is like the craziest that, trick that ever you, yeah you gotta take it right you yeah you can't yeah. just not like uh, a funny example of that um Hamilton told me about the rail hop to wall ride clip that he had in that video yep. part how he just the time he felt like doing it he just got somebody to hold yeah, the yeah. camera and st instead that, that, of, and that happens man like yeah. people like they're feeling it and they're going now like yep that's why there was not much footage of like Paul Buchanan because number one he was a shy dude but also because when he felt like doing something he was just going to do it he wasn't mm. going to sit around and wait for somebody like and like you'll talk to guys like Jeff Z when he's shooting photos and like like you better be set up and ready to go like because they're not going to sit around and wait for you to get flashes and the perfect lighting or the you know the you know the sunset in the background or whatever they're going to just dudes are going to go when they feel like they're going because you know it's, it's, some of these things are scary things like yeah that moment can leave at any second like that or that 100 percent the mindset 100%. it's like a light switch for certain things that you're doing and it can get turned off for sure yeah, like that that Ruben clip again. Back to the bridge wall, right? Like there was so many factors with this. The there was an intersecting road that came down, and when one light went orange and the other one went green, he had to go because it, the the window for him to hit that bridge and go over before the the light turned green for the other direction. It like if you see him come off of that wall, right? There's already cars coming. Like he he just yeah. had to do it. Like otherwise, there was no other opportunity. Yeah, that's wild. I can't imagine being in like Sebastian Keep's shoes when he's doing that walls video. And, oh yeah, and just insane. Having to go at super early hours of the morning. Yeah, I mean, who wants to ride that early? I I don't know. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't think yeah. I've ever ridden that early in my life. Yeah, I mean, you gotta get warmed up. I, I don't know, man. That's pretty ballsy of him. That was like next level shit. Yeah. Um. So being that you've been involved with bmx for such a long period of time and i'm not trying to call you old or anything <laughs> oh, i'm old i'm old you ain't gonna, you ain't gonna mix words here i know i'm old uh 
So are you doing team manager stuff today for Etnies? Yeah, I mean, not full team manager stuff. It's more just keeping the relationship between the brand and the riders and kind of industry relationships going on. And also some stuff with mountain biking nowadays too. Um, but no, I'm not full time there. So it's just, you know, I'm kind of on the peripheral. So, so I'm asking that because I'm curious with how you feel BMX as an industry in that respect has changed throughout the years, being that you've seen it from the same position for for so long. Yeah, I mean, there's been ebbs and flows. There's there's been high times when, you know, there's been more money than other, and there's like there's the brands that come in and dump a bunch of money and then bail and. Those those brands to me, dude, like they're good for the guys that are getting checks, and I'm mm-hmm. stoked for my friends to get paid. But I think they do more harm than good because they, you know, they give this false sense of security in an industry, and it makes it look like everything's great, and everyone's making a ton of money, and then they pull the rug, whatever yeah. the brand may be, whether it be Trek or whoever, like anything. Just, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, and it just goes away, and like, so there's been high points, there's been low points. Um, you know, the, the, to me, the economics of BMX has always been a problem. You know, mm-hmm. like, um, I mean, Kevin talked about it in his podcast for, you know, Kevin Connors, but, you know, just to me, kids have been taught over the years that everything should be affordable. And, like, they think 350 bucks for a frame is, you know, expensive, but like, they're jumping off of roofs and stuff for a year, and the frames, and as soon as it cracks, they're like, they're bummed. But it's like, yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess it's kind of another subject, but you know, I just BMX me. I to me, the participation is more than ever, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. But I wouldn't say it's it's most financially stable place it's ever been. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I win that the t- topic of like corporate sponsorship and all that comes up i always preach so heavily that yeah. people need to recognize that it's not going to last forever while yeah. also trying to get take these giant corporations for everything that they can get out of them and help yeah. doing events and helping things at the same time because they've got the money and they're willing to put it for the period of time they are but it's nobody's going to retire off of that no no i mean unless you do a real smart job of like you know investing in something like and and that's few and far between like the guys like i don't know currently like terry adams or 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 aaron ross like they've done a good job man like they they saved their money they made sure Mm -hmm. they bought real estate they you know but others they just assume it's going to last forever and they kind of squander an opportunity so like so schwinn back in the day like they some of these bigger corporate sponsors, I use Schwinn as an example. So when, when Jay formed the, Jay Miron formed the Schwinn program, like the company as a whole understood what BMX brought to the table for Schwinn as a brand, like, cause they have road bikes, you know, beach cruises, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. BMX wasn't necessarily going to sell a ton of BMX bikes, but it sold the brand and it was a really rad vehicle to sell the brand to the masses because Jay's on the X Games, Dave Asada's on the X Games. Um, we can go to Schwinn shops and do demos and excite the crowd and do autograph signs where road bike dudes ain't doing that. You know, like they ain't coming out and they're, no one's seen a backflip on a road bike. Yeah. So it, was, it, it, it was a good, it was a good advertising um, thing and for brand awareness. And Schwinn was really good in the beginning about um, 
listening. Like they, everything that, that Jay told them to do, they listened and it worked and it paid, you know, it was killing it. But then it changed ownership and at some point they're like, okay, we got it from here. And that was when things started tanking. Interesting. Yeah. So when you're dealing with like big companies, you know, th- their business model might be good, but the, the, the BMX portion of it is never going to measure up, especially with like if you, you know, mountain biking or road biking, the margins are insane. Mm-hmm. And this is why a lot of brands don't stick with BMX for a long time because the margins are really shitty. Like, yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um, and oh damn i had something on the tip of my tongue and forgot about it i'll get it yeah just when it comes to all of those things with the corporate companies and working with bmx and stuff okay i remember where i was going with that the it the other problem is that there's no way to like quantify that this amount of these purchases come from bmx 100 percent. it's a shot in the dark same as like doing a print ad or or of Instagram posts, like, I mean, I guess there is social media you can, because if you do like a post on Instagram and you try and push a product and you can see how many sales directly are attached to that, that's cool. But like a print ad in a magazine or, or an ad on, on a, it's really hard to, you know. Especially at the time period of when these sponsorships were happening, social media didn't exist yet. For sure, for sure. So they're like, there really wasn't a way to to measure what they were actually getting for the money that they're putting in. And the same yeah. could even be said today for the majority of how sponsorship works in BMX, because the money gets put into these riders through products and sending them places and whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, how does the company measure what they get? back from it after that yeah yeah i mean i've always been a, an advocate for you know sometimes you, that it may not come back in direct sales but it comes back in brand awareness mm-hmm. where, where the brand is like if you've i mean who can i use for example who's i use you know dennis anderson for example like i wouldn't say he's selling a, a million frames and i don't know how much he gets paid but for brand awareness you, you couldn't ask for a better right person to represent haro you know like in, in this day and age anyway yeah absolutely yeah marketing is a crazy crazy thing and i guess through the root of my original question with that was just how you feel you've seen that type of stuff change through being in a similar position at etnies because it's no doubt changed throughout the years yeah yeah it hasn't it hasn't like it's, it all comes down to the same thing it's like getting the right dudes it's right like placing the right ads and but like you said it's like trying to quantify that sometimes it's just it's really difficult and i, I, I yeah I, I don't know if it's changed too much because it's all the same but on a different platform now on online mm. and um just brand awareness i mean overall that's you're paying a dude for brand awareness because you're not going to sell a million frames for a dude you pay a couple of grand a month yeah right and and how many frames do you need to sell or how much do you need to sell to, to pay that back and there's there's a lot of people that don't want to accept the fact that this has to be like discussed this way on the back yeah. end like or yeah. just in general because though these conversations happen on the back end of things because yeah. they have to yep. and, and i think the sooner that we like recognize that as a whole we'll mm-hmm. be able to start like oh like 
if we do this better, more good things can happen for us. Yeah, yeah I mean, like S&M or Colt, for example, like, you know, they, they got a building, they've got employees, and there's certain standards that you have to abide, abide by by law. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to do certain things, and it all, and it all comes as an, an expense. Riders sometimes feel like they're getting the short end of the stick because they're like maybe making less than one of the employees, but they also have the freedom to come and go as they please and also get other sponsors. Mm-hmm. So I, I know it's on their shoulders to do that, but they do have the freedom to, you know, if they want to go get a drink sponsor or if they want to get like an eyewear sponsor or sock underwear, whatever it may be, frame bars, I don't know, you know, you can, if you're willing to hustle, you can do it. And if you're that, if your ride is valuable, then you, you can get what you, what you feel you deserve. Yeah. And that's certainly something, not that as a whole, but the, the pay side of things is something that certainly fluctuated over time. Yeah. Uh, do you feel that there's any comparable like time periods to what we're living in right now in BMX? Well, so I started riding in 1979. BMX. That's when I first started. That's my when I got my first BMX bike. Mm-hmm. The mid to late 80s in the UK, people were making okay money for that period in time. But then there's dead times. There's, you know, ebbs and flows, crazes, and it goes away, and it comes back, and it goes away, and comes back. Yep. Um, you know, the early 2000s for a lot of guys were doing really well. Maybe not so much now. I think it's uh, it's, it's squeezed it's about. I think it's squeezed down as much as it can now on what guys are making. Mm-hmm. You know, not not to say that's right or wrong. It just sometimes that's the the marketing end and the riders get roped, like they get grouped in with the marketing portion of a brand. The marketing seems to be the portion of the business is where they can save the most money because there's no fixed what was social media now you can just you know a lot of shit comes free as long as you got a cell phone and a rider you can film this yeah um i don't know if that's that's good or it's bad it's just it's just the times we live in and i can't think of a comparable time i mean no i think you know everything has ebbs and flows so i just kind of made a realization too and what you're talking about with the marketing thing and I think part of that could be coming from the fact that without a way to quantify what brands are getting back from what they're putting into a rider, it's easier mm-hmm. to justify, well, like, we don't know what we're exactly getting from this 100%. guy, so we're going to lower what we're paying him because we don't yeah. actually know. And yeah. I feel I've been talking about this a lot lately, and actually even today it's come up a couple times, but, but the whole idea of the affiliate stuff or like codes that are a link that a rider might get, I feel is a solution to a lot of those problems. No, it totally is. And we, we, and as we talk about it all the time and, and for like riders that don't necessarily get a check, it's also a a way to subsidize an income for Mm -hmm. them. A lot of guys are like, and not to say they're all like this, but like there's a good chunk of guys that just want to get a check. They don't really want to work for it in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the affiliate stuff can like weed those guys out or make them realize they have to do their job if they want to get yeah. paid. Yeah. And 
I've been talking about it a lot. So Etni does that. If you can even say Etni's does affiliate stuff. They have done people. It. They're not doing it right now, but they have done it. Okay. Yeah. Did it seem like it was okay? They worked. Like, I don't see the. I don't really see the back end stuff. Okay. But I, you know, I would hope it. I would hope. I would hope they did it like it did work. And then I, I just, there's been talk about bringing it back again. You know, every now and then it comes back up, and I just. There's so much other stuff going on. Like the company as a whole is not as big as it used to be. Like they had like four or five hundred employees at one point, but they're, you know, way smaller than that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, still privately owned. They don't have any big financial backers, and they're just doing it because they love it. You know. That's awesome. Yeah. Doid. I mean, it's a good way for it to be. It it is, but you don't have the luxury of having these big injections of funds to do all the cool stuff you want to do. It's all like on on like a know top ramen budget you like making do whatever you can yeah 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 i i can see that it feels like it's it's cool it's cool though because like i can i can pick up the phone and call the owner of the company right now he's like he'll answer he's just that type of dude he's super friendly and i can't say that for other brands you know yeah that's really awesome to hear because you definitely can't say that for everybody and and yeah. to hear that I feel like just that kind of stuff alone is the kind of positive like interaction someone could hear to make them want to support something like that yeah yeah right like you know like Robbie and, and like he rides Chris rides like the owner of it and he still skates it's like there's an authenticity there that you can't that's money can't buy that like mm-hmm. you know you know you have some other the footwear brands that have massive injections of money and Chris talked about it on his um, it was our BMX podcast about like if you've got money you can buy a coolness like you can do rad events and you know like but when you're like we well, you don't have much money it's hard to do that but you can purchase the coolness you can purchase the right riders you can purchase the you know you can buy a beach for the whole weekend and do a surf event and like mm-hmm. I think Etnies is certainly doing a good job since they've started to, you know, get back into things mm-hmm. with, with BMX and, yeah. and getting a lot of riders involved. And, so and they, they, were, they were never gone. Like, they've been there. Like, they started in, like, 96. They've had a BMX team the whole time. It's just they were a little quiet for a little bit, you know? Oh, okay. I, I thought that I, for some reason, I thought that Etnies kind of pulled away from BMX for a while. No, they, they've been doing it the whole time. Even, like, when I was gone, they still had a team. It's just there was no one there to really take care of them, and that's kind of why they kind of dragged me back in. Like, hmm. Well, that's good to hear, then. Because yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, like, I'm an Anthony's life early, man. I love that brand. Like, everything everything about it, good people. Like, you know, I mean, when you, when you want to use the word authentic, they're, they're genuinely authentic. Like, That's awesome. Maybe, I mean, to a, maybe to a fault sometimes, but they're one of the best brands around yeah my there's a picture of me on like the bike that i had before i got a real bmx bike wearing like a pair of etnies it's twice as big as they needed to be just because it was like (laughs) the puffy shoes yeah well not even that it was the size the shoes were already bigger than they needed to be but then the size was like five sizes too big for my feet (laughs) and just that's funny just for the uh the the bmx of it yeah it's pretty funny because like the 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 how fashion works and how like what people want in footwear like they go one weekend it's like 
like girls jeans and then like a month later they're wearing jenkos again like it's like <laughs> it's hard to keep up with it and we work on eight, like they work on 18 month timelines where they're producing product for 18 months out from now oh, wow so you got to try and predict fashion is pretty difficult so like a lot of people are like in the puffy shoe again so we're like okay so we're gonna try and bring back some puffy shoes it's just not my thing but you know it's like if there's an audience for it and it does well why not you know that is insane just to hear the the 18 month timeline and like yeah in realizing so i mean does that mean that most stuff is just kind of like coincidence that things line up when they when they do as far as like popularity goes can you yeah. plan that far ahead for something that's popular sometimes you hit the target sometimes you miss um you know, everyone's trying to predict what the next cool thing is or whatever it is, but mm-hmm. like, uh, I feel like if you stay on the same plane for the most part, you'll you'll be okay. I mean, you look at Vans, like they haven't veered too far from the path, mm-hmm. so their their timelines, they're gonna always kind of, the shoes are always gonna kind of look the same. And they've had such an audience for the last 40 years or 50 years that if they're, if your dad wore the shoes, there's a good chance you, you wore the shoes and there's a good chance your kid will wear the shoes. Yeah interesting because i remember when i right around that time when i first started riding the the shoe with the the logo that looks like an m when it's on yeah, your yeah, yeah. that Styli- was like the stylized d yep everyone at school yeah. had those shoes yeah like that was just the popular shoe to have at the time yeah that's that's making a massive comeback right now that's I, I, I a, lot, that. a, lot, a lot a lot of our new shoes were bringing that back because people are really loving it yeah i noticed that in a lot of them it's more of like it's like a new new version of it yeah we have the icon e which is the, the jagged looking e mm-hmm. and then there's the uh what we call the stylized e which is like this you know the m looking thing such a sideways e but yeah right that's that's cool to hear yeah that's, that's no. one of those like nostalgic things yeah that's cool um so another thing that my buddy told me about uh was dirty deeds yeah so you were in dirty deeds yeah i had a part in there that was that was perrick's doing he didn't tell me that that i was gonna have a part but if you know we would just all hang out and go ride and um all of a sudden he showed me a timeline He's like yeah you're getting a part i'm like ah shit <laughs> now, now, now i felt i felt responsibility to try a little bit harder you know yeah so so at what point did you notice things going from uh going from being like like you're saying you guys are just going out riding and like you didn't even know you were getting a part to yep. okay now in bmx or in general we're filming for videos like well i'm going and we're doing this for the video yeah yeah well and then like you know i've been around Peric a lot like for that and that that um, dirty deeds and and um uh nowhere fast were pretty much the reason he got the job for forward Hmm. Little, little, little did we know his work ethic, um, but obviously amazing what he did. Like he, if he was, if he'd had a, if he was more on top of it, he would have been Spike Jones times ten. Like he was so freaking good. Um, but you know, early early nineties, mid nineties, more people had cameras. It was like it wasn't like the eighties where no one really had cameras. Only people like got a lot of money had cameras. So more people were getting like handy cams and mm-hmm. they would they would bring them everywhere and i'm not sure if dave had the best equipment but um 
I mean, I'm grateful that he was he included me. And it, I mean, a lot of it had to do with you know being around the group of people at the time, like Griffin and um, Keith Trainer and and uh, Rooftop and like those those guys are all my friends. So it was you know getting grouped in with them was one of the reasons I got him. Like I was lucky enough to have a part. That's cool. I I talked with Keith actually about uh, this similar subject because yeah. he he talked about how he didn't have a mindset of like I'm going to film this and we're going to make the video, but Rooftop did have a mindset yeah, yeah. of like I'm making yeah. this video and I'm going to do this for this video. Yeah. And, and My, I, yeah, go for it. I was just going to say it's cool to hear that even back then, like all of these different things mm. kind of existed at the same time mike is like rooftops always had a really good vision of how he wants to be presented and like when he puts his mind to something he's going to give it his all so when he knew that he was going to have a part in his mind i'm getting the freaking final part right like Mm -hmm. that that that's and he was so progressive at the time some of the stuff he was doing like it was he was around a lot of skaters so there was stuff that he was doing that they were doing he was trying to replicate and he was doing stuff i mean like he's the first to do crooked grinds like um toothpick grinds like there's a, there's a lot of shit he did that nobody else did that that came through in that video and that was why it was such a progressive part mm-hmm. trainer was just keith was they called him a madman because that's pretty much what he was was <laughs> mad but um all very progressive you know progressive parts yeah it's cool to hear about so so were you stoked on your part in the end no i never i like i don't like seeing myself ride <laughs> Okay. I hate I hate seeing myself on camera to be honest with you, but I'll deal with it. But you know, I mean, there was there at that time like I was one of the first like the handful of people that did backflips. Mm-hmm. So that was like a big deal, I guess. Um, and like some lip tricks I I did that I kind of that I thought I I came up with, and um, so I was happy with that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was good. I enjoyed it. Like looking back on it, it's fun, you know. Yeah, and and he captured some yeah, of those things. Yeah, it captures a period in time, and I, you know, there's some things I probably wish I could have tried harder on. There was stuff I'd obviously like to add to it, but you know, you have a certain period of time, and there was other writers that were more the main focus too. So, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's cool to hear. Um, I don't mean to take it just back to Edney's again, but I had something oh, else okay, written okay. down here that do, do you think that if you weren't still involved with etnies you would be working within the industry of bmx at all um probably yeah i mean i always go back to the ramp building thing like it's mm-hmm. always been but been part of my um just carpentry in general but like the ramp building thing is just an easy go-to so that kind of in a weird circumvented way keeps you involved with the yeah. industry you know like whether it be around skateboarding or BMX yeah ramp building if yeah. it's for contests and things is yeah. just inherently involved with the industry yeah. side of things yeah and like you know I, I did stuff for Fly for a while I was with them for like three or four years four or five years doing stuff on the side while I was at these before so I have like I have decent relationships, or mm-hmm. I think a decent relationships to where I probably would still be involved in the industry, in one fashion or another. It might be slightly disconnected from the definitive like bike industry, but yeah, I'd still be around it all the time. Like I, 
it's just part of me now. You know, I've done it for so long. Yeah, I feel like with a lot of people, it's one of those things of like, I've been BMX for so long. I don't know what I would do if I wasn't involved with it. I mean, maybe you know, maybe sometimes for me it's to a fault because like, you know, maybe it's not the most lucrative thing, but you know, if you care about something so much and care about all the people that you're involved with, then it's hard to get away, you know. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I feel I'm willing to kind of sacrifice some of like the like the luxury, whatever you want to call it, like things that, you know, people with good jobs. I get it. it. Just to be involved with BMX. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's plenty of times that I've sacrificed probably making more money just to keep the job that I was involved with because I loved everything about it, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people can relate to that in BMX. If you, if you can't then, and you don't think that way, then I think you, maybe it's not for you. Yeah. And those people probably aren't involved anymore anyways. But I mean, everyone's, you know, I I feel like everyone should explore other things too, because, you know, like life goes on and, you know, even though BMX is a portion of a lot of people's lives, it doesn't have to be all their life you know yeah it's important to have like that uh that plan for what happens if you ever have to for lack of a better term move on yeah but you know it's, it's and it brought up a thought too that just saying that like it's it's entertaining and kind of cool how there's been a resurgence with you know older i say older i'm i'm old but <laughs> old, older older guys getting back into it whether it be with the wheelie bikes or whatever like the, the resurgence of like people getting into collecting bikes and like so obviously people couldn't shake the bug you know they 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 love it so much that they want to come back to it like yep yeah i've noticed that a lot with what i do on my youtube channel and just the fact that the videos that i have with like bike geometry and things attracted a lot of those guys because they were in bmx you know 20 years ago things have changed so they come back and they're like well what's geometry i gotta look this up and then i get to learn about it and it's so much so that there's times where i feel like there's more older guys getting back into bmx than there are kids getting into bmx i just think it's, it's uh I, it's just refreshing and it's nice because you know you know people might frown on some 55 year old dude that wants to get a horror sport from 1986 again but I don't know people collect old cars people collect guitars you know fuck it get, you know, do what you want like you're literally gonna die one day why worry about exactly. what someone else thinks about the thing that you think is cool we're all going to the same place right yeah uh and I think part of what's bringing people back to somewhat is that like people have their families and then their kids get old enough to start riding a bike and then yep. they go to get that first bike and they're like, oh, this is a thing it's again. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I met uh, a guy at Woodward a couple weeks ago who said how his I think he said his daughter was getting just to the age of riding a bike and like went to the skate park and he's like i'm not gonna be the old dad watching you ride at the skate park i'm gonna be riding too that's sick yeah which is awesome yeah no it's, it's amazing like yeah it's, that's cool i like that 
it's it's so cool and i get that so much in the comments i love meeting all those people and that's why one reason why the adult weekend at woodward is so awesome because it's a lot of those guys coming out yep and then they get to meet like jamie beswick's there yeah jamie beswick's been riding long enough that most of these people already know who he is yeah it's it's so cool and he's probably as old as that dude <laughs> or older yeah yeah still blasting 15 dude. foot airs on a vert ramp yeah he's, he's just done a good job of taking care of himself man like and he kills it like he's i mean the best competitive vert rider there's, there's ever been i mean i'll say that out loud you know dave yeah. was amazing matt is phenomenal and invented so much stuff but the best competitive vert rider there's ever been is jamie Beswick. yeah I mean, you can't argue with that at all. Yeah. I got all these people that are in the chat, 52 years old and got a new kink switch a few months ago. Sick. Then uh, Dennis Hornbeck said, and I'm an old guy who never rode BMX that started a couple years ago. That's awesome. Tell, tell, your, boy, tell your boy there that, uh, who just got the kink that we have a kink collab with Etnies right now. Oh, yeah. The frame. Yeah. And the, yeah. the clothing. Shoe, shoes and apparel and uh, the kink bike and everything that's coming like later in the summertime because just of how timelines work out. It uh -huh. didn't work out perfect, but, yes, yeah, we're excited about that one. So, yeah, tell your boy there. You bought your bike too soon, bud. <laughs> no, no, man. You can still go on the Etnies side and buy a bunch of kink stuff. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah, I bought my first bike at 48. Now I'm 50. Kink Whip XL. Yeah. Sick. It's so rad. He said... Dude. Uh, another guy, 53, back on my Steve McCann mongoose. <laughs> Dude, awesome. Yeah, that's I, and I get like meeting all these people is rad. Um, yeah, there's I don't know if you would have seen him or not, but there's a guy, his name is Mendo, and he's Russian. He mm -hmm. started riding bikes at 62, and he's 68 wow. or 69 now. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. It really is, and he posts like videos on his YouTube channel. He's doing fakies and flyout threes and foot jams and air to fakies on quarters. And it's that's sweet. amazing. Yeah, dude. I mean, age is a number, and who gives a shit what people think? If you're having fun, it doesn't matter, right? Oh yeah, and I think like 50 today is way different than 50, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Yeah. So. Growing up, obviously, 80s was my kind of, I'd say, my heyday, early 90s. But nobody knew the upper window of what age, like what age you could do this sport at. Yeah. So you know who Eddie Fiola is, right? Yeah. He retired at 21. <laughs> like what? Yeah, that's when people start riding now. Like, yeah. I remember, I remember Craig Campbell from the UK. A quote was, Matt Hoffman did a backflip. I'm done. So he quit. That's so wild. Because people thought they didn't know what the age was or what the level of progression would become. Like they didn't have the foresight. But obviously we know now what has become of riding and what these guys are doing. And obviously, you, you know, a lot of pros these days like Nathan Williams and, you know, Dennis and Garrett, like, they, you know, upper 20s, early 30s, mid 30s, and like they're still top of the game. Nyquist. Dude, killing it. Yeah, Nyquist yeah it, it's incredible and then you look at people like rob ridge who's yeah dude technical as hell he's arguably the best like technical 
lip trick lip break trick. rider that is, sure. yeah. exists right now. And he's like, just kind of like hiding out doing his thing and just kind of, he's like a kind of a Kevin Jones kind of guy, like where he's just, he's just off doing his thing and he's just being a badass and nobody's going to know about it, but it's satisfying to him, you know, like mm -hmm. they kind of like, there's a, I don't know, man, like just they're kind of like on the spectrum in some regards because they, you know, they just go do their own thing and they don't care what anyone thinks. And actually, they're more conscious if people do see them. Like they, they just, if there's like maybe there's an insecurity there for some reason. Yeah. But it's their kind of zen place where they go to ride and it's just like Kevin Jones was a good example. He didn't want to travel, he didn't want to be around people. He just wanted to ride his bike and and invented arguably most of the most of today's modern flatland. Wow, it sounds like the the Rodney Mullen of BMX. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Because you hear Rodney Mullen, I mean, he's such a public figure, but you never see him skating because he talks about how he doesn't want to skate in front of people. Oh, yeah. he, I I uh, watched a podcast with him the other day. It was like Tony Hawk, and uh, yeah, I watched that one too. And he was like, he skates from like like one a.m. till five a.m. Yep. in the morning, like, and that's crazy. But I guess that's his that's his deal, right? Just so that he can do it in his zen by himself mm -hmm. no it's one amazing. else yeah and he's he's such a smart dude oh yeah such a, just the way he chooses words and talks about stuff it's just there's just oozes passion and oozes like intelligence yeah he's a very inspirational dude talking just in For general sure. his perspectives i think mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. what really his perspective and the ability to articulate it 100% is amazing yeah. 100%. I, I was a time when his TED Talk thing came out that I yeah. I went on a binge and watched every single interview with him that existed at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah his, back, his backstory is pretty crazy about, like, his dad didn't really want him to skate. and. Yep. Dude, it's insane. Like, this is it. This is it. Yep. After this, you're done. Yep, <laughs> yep. And then he wins the world title yep. or whatever. Yeah, 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 dude, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's so cool. And sometimes, I, like, when I first watched that TED Talk and all those interviews, I thought, like, man, like, I feel like BMX, like, needs a figurehead like this. Yeah. Just just to be, like, a, I don't know what the right word would be for it. No, it's, it's it, it, you have, you have, um, uh, you know, people, pinnacle dudes who kind of take things to the next level and, like, I don't know what it is about skate, but they just seem to manage to do a better job of documenting their heroes, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I guess Dave was our closest to being that spokesperson. Yeah. Um, but obviously he picked up different interests and, um, yeah, I'm I, I, trying to find those, because always, I've always felt that, that you, like, it's rad that some of the media covers all the newest, craziest dudes or whatever, but you, you need those hero figures to push if you want to look at bmx as a whole as a brand or whatever you need these figureheads to help like catapult it to the next level yeah and and i always find myself wondering like how does that even happen in today's day and age like how do we get there yeah i don't know i have no answer for that one that's a difficult one until until like the until there's a, me a media that actually latches on to those those figureheads mm -hmm. you know, like we don't have it anymore like there used to be like fuel tv or whatever it may be or 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 uh, i don't know some of the x games the way they would do it like they were highlighting some of the writers 
when at the, at the peak of the X Games, I'm saying, like, yeah, and they really highlighted these riders and made heroes of these riders, and that was what catapulted Dave to the, you know, the the heights that he went to, and and uh, you know, Dennis McCoy and like all those guys, they were all figureheads, and once you get once you get riders in the in the in the, you know, that are featured all the time, and 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 like the the public comes becomes more aware of what's going on and hopefully that's that that catapults it to the next level right yeah i don't know because right right now it seems kind of quiet right yeah it's very quiet right now and and it's unfortunate because when you look at something i mean maybe not to everybody but to me i feel like it's unfortunate because when you look at someone like tony hawk in Mm -hmm. skateboarding he's still like this huge advocate and this big name and mm-hmm. and he goes on like the the one youtube channel where they do the the driving around yelling at people to do a kickflip video oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. stuff okay. like that and everybody knows who he is they're stoked on it oh. it's like like we don't really have that not anymore no no we almost had it but not like tony he's, he's taking things to a whole different level like you know going to the oscars and the yeah. grammys and all kinds of shit like yeah, I mean he's 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 a celebrity now. He's beyond. He's beyond just skateboarding. Oh yeah, he's definitely. I know. I know he's had his naysayers over the years, but they couldn't ask for a better like spokesperson, you know. Right. I mean, he's just such a rad just person in general. Hundred percent. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how we get that in BMX or if we do. I, 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 I don't know. It's, it's weird. Like, and, and not not that the sport is, you know, like I said before. So I feel like. We, we have more participants than ever, I feel. But BMX is still kind of like an exclusive thing where like, you know, the trail riders take off and hide in the woods and mm-hmm. everybody wants to get there. Everybody like wants to get paid or whatever, wants a notoriety or whatever you want to call it. But um, it's still a very inclusive thing is or ex- exclusive thing like, it, we should be shout, like shouting to the masses rather than trying to keep everything to ourselves. From your point of view? Yeah. I would agree with that. I think there's a lot of people who feel like it's better to be inclusive like that. And the, the cool yeah. thing is, guess what? You yeah. can still do that. <laughs> yeah, 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 it doesn't stop you from doing what you're doing. But I, just, I think um, a lot of bike riders, they take things so personal. Um, they take anything that's not within their realm of what they believe BMX should be. It, they take anything outside of that as kind of offensive, and you shouldn't. You know, you're not allowed in. You like, you go do your thing, play golf or whatever it may be. Or, but, um, and I guess I could say again, like trail riders, like the most phenomenal aspect of BMX riding. One of the most phenomenal aspects of BMX riding there is, like. You go to East Side on any given day in Austin and watching dudes blast there. It's like the most amazing thing. But mm-hmm. you got to be part of that crew to go there. You got to be involved and kind of be invited to go in and like. So how do you how do you have that, but then blow it up so that everyone's getting the recognition they deserve? Yeah, and and some of those people don't want it. No, and that's fine. Yeah, there's, there's there's I mean, you I mean you like it kind of brings up the Olympic thing like. Yeah, it's, it may be not my cup of tea. It might not be my kind of ride. And, you know, I, I want to watch a Chase Hawk ride. I want to watch Nathan Williams ride. Like, But you can't argue 
the platform that is given BMX. Right. Like, especially women's BMX now. Like. Oh yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. They've. You know, they have the potential. I mean, a person like Hannah or Charlotte yep. could be yep. catapulted into that. Maybe not necessarily overnight Tony Hawk position, yep. but like yeah. this putting the pieces in play that if they so wanted to make that happen, that they could potentially do that. Yeah, I think it, like especially for English BMX, like it was always a challenge to for BMX to be recognised as a cycling sport, which is blows my mind in the UK mm-hmm. and now they bring home like multiple medals two, you know uh, two two female golds but what that's done for female BMX in the UK is phenomenal like and, and like it, it catapulted Charlotte to celebrity status like she was doing appearances and TV shows and she got like like a, a the Queen awarded her something like wow. it's was, it was crazy you know like and that's phenomenal like you can't again it might not be my thing, but you can't argue what, what what that does for BMX. Yeah, that's incredible. Did you catch the video that I can't remember what entity made it, but it was a, a UK thing that they made it with Charlotte. They, it started showing some girl watching on TV the Olympics, and then yeah. it then it showed her getting a bike and going to the skate park and like yeah I saw that that video just encompassed what BMX is in two and a half minutes or whatever it was it was amazing amazing. yeah that I think everyone just needs to see that video I don't know how you will find it but it it showed and to tell people who haven't seen it yet uh, it it goes through the story of this person finding out about BMX through Charlotte in the Olympics, then trying it for themselves and crashing and falling, but getting better and progressing throughout the video. All the while, mm-hmm. I think it cuts back to Charlotte doing different things. I can't remember. Yeah, but, I can't remember exactly. But then at the end, they're at a skate park, and this girl who has been riding for a while now, obviously, and is like riding good, yep. crashes, and the person who comes to help him up is Charlotte. Yeah, and it's like boom, chills, you know, hundred <laughs> percent, right? Like, that's that, awesome, man, and that's what it's about. Like, like you go to some of the skate parks in San Diego, and you can ride with Garrett Reynolds on any given day, or Gary Young, or Dennis Anderson, or Hobie Doan, or like, dude, you know, like it's yep. insane. Yep, you go to HB on the Vans Park on the Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, you go yeah, there on Wednesday, it. and you can meet. You never know who you're going to meet there. Yeah, yeah, star-studded. That's what makes BMX so much more awesome than, like, organized sports in my mind. 100%. Yeah, you know, I agree. Like, that's kind of what, like, your analogy with Charlotte, with the the video thing, that was exactly it. Like, you can go to the park on any given day and you can meet your heroes. And ride with them. Yeah, you you ain't going to a basketball game and hanging out with friggin' LeBron James you know it's like yeah it's a bit different yeah it's it's totally not, not to say it's on the same level but you know what i mean right <laughs> wow somebody said charlotte was a scooter rider first but it's the next comment that's great evil knievel was a bank robber first <laughs> yep that's that's awesome i yeah. didn't know that but that's amazing yeah yeah he was a he was evil was a definite troublemaker wow that's crazy you can go from being a bank robber to being like a household name because you jump Harley Davidson's over gaps. 
jumps them badly. Yeah, you're, that's a good point. <laughs> you jumped them badly. Wow. Uh, I want to take another thing from the chat here. Uh, have you heard of Carl Emmers? Yeah. He's the one who crashed at the one thing and is yeah. now riding and, like, doing... 360 double whips or just straight double whips again already with one eye. Uh, insane, right? and so I was there. I was right there next to the jump when he freaking did that. Wow. That's yeah. And now he's back. It, right. it is insane because he it, the event, you know, it was it was out of time. The event was done, but he wanted to get it, and that's just the nature of BMX, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you just keep going, you keep pushing until you get what you want. Yep. And it was just an unfortunate accident, you know, like. Yeah. That. The, but he's back riding, so. Yep. amazing dude he's um, such a positive energy yeah i had him on here and he's yeah. the most positive person i've ever talked to yeah. or met in my entire life it's amazing yeah. Yeah. Um, but what he said was if i'm not mistaken i believe this gentleman gifted us morgan wade on the mega ramp yeah what is that all about x games first year they had mega ramp so i'll go backwards a little bit so there was uh, a ramp out of, there was an, an extreme sports camp out in California like before Woodward West mm. and it was um, called Point X and it was where they had a, a movable launch ramp to landing and then a, a, like a mega quarter and I think Rooftop had been riding out there and every time X Games had the mega ramp they wouldn't let it ride it but then the one time they gave them like a small window of time where like okay you get to ride it um and that was a catalyst, I think, for the competition after that. So the following year after Rooftop wrote it, or maybe a couple of years after that, um, you know, I brought a bunch of dudes to town, Jamie and Morgan and whoever was in the X Games. And mm -hmm. um, I'm like, Morgan, you should give us a shot, dude. It's right up your alley. Like, he's like, nah, nah, I'm cool. I'm cool. <laughs> she just wanted to ride Park. Yeah. And uh, I, didn't I didn't push him down the roll-in, but, you know, he went for it and he stuck like... You know, stuck like glue, man. And like it was perfect for him. Just even as he started riding, because he'd always go high and far and everything. I was like, man, it just made, made total sense, you know? Yeah. But he didn't, I don't think he necessarily saw it because it, it was like just too far out the realm of like normal riding at the time, you know? Yeah, I'm, I think it's still pretty far out of the realm for most normal. Yeah, but it's a, it's a spectacle, right? Like people, people watch it, you know? It's like. Um, yeah. What's been noticeably absent from the X Games? Yeah. Well, I can't afford any more. Is that I, just, I don't know these things? Yeah, just same with anything, man. Like as time goes by, like you know, how can we save a little bit of money? Save a little bit of money. Save a little bit. Like prize money goes down, and like you know, the what they invest in an event goes down. Like so, rather than renting the Staples Center for thirty days straight, they'll do something in Pat Casey's backyard. You know, like obviously they can save a lot of money. Right. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I mean, obviously that had a lot to do with the world state at the time and for sure. Not why rent out a big stadium where a bunch of people can come watch when no one can come watch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean they they what was when was the last what was the last real one? Where was it at? Just happened a couple of weeks ago. It was in Japan, I think. Chiba. Well, yeah, was that there was that one, but where, which one was the one that was in the US? The last um, one that was Minneapolis. In, Minneapolis, that's the one. Yeah, so that was the last one that I remember being in an indoor stadium in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the dates were just announced for the U.S. ones this year, July 20th through 24th, I think. 
Really? Yeah, like announced today. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. Where's the location? Well, it, does, it says Southern California. Because they're going to do, the, do the same shit again, where it'll be people's backyards or the, the California skate parks, TF Street, or... So what did we just have? The Japan one? Yeah, what was that then, if it wasn't this? The Japan X Games. Huh. I thought that that was X Games for the year. I, I did too, at first. But then I, I hit up Jim Bao because his wife works for, for, for them, and he goes, no, there's an announcement coming. Really? Whoa. Yeah. Very interesting. So, yeah, they're doing it in backyards again, and that's crazy. So BMX, uh, looking for, we have Mega Park. What's Mega Park? Uh, probably Pat Casey's yard. Well, there's Park and Mega Park. Interesting. Mega Park. I don't. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I don't know either. We're gonna find out though. Yeah, that'll be fun. It's BMX, right? It's all BMX. Yeah. So, so what do you get up to with BMX these days aside from working with Etnies? Um, would like to ride more than I do. Um, yeah, that's about as much as I can say. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I want to ride more. I just uh, find other things to do. Yeah. Like what? What do you like to do? Uh, woodwork, um, hanging out with family. I got a 16-year-old kid, so he takes up a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's about it. I want to hear about woodworking. I know it has nothing to do with BMX, but I'm, I'm curious. Uh, you know, I just whittle away. Just, I'm not an expert by any means. I'm no Jay Miron. <coughs> His stuff is just next level, um, mm. but I, I just... It's just something, Corey Martinez, he's the same dude. Like, we just, there's something about it that's kind of peaceful, and you can mess around with something and make something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't something I intended to do. It just kind of happened by necessity, fixing stuff and building stuff. Yeah, it's cool, though. And ramp skills kind of helped, you know, steer you in that direction. Yeah. Um, so what, do you have any ramp stuff lined up that's coming? Um, uh, a couple of things I can't talk about yet because it's not 100% confirmed but um, yeah. one thing we're waiting on is, is a ramp for Chase Hawk we're waiting on permits for that um, then I have to go I've got to go skate light a ramp in Oregon in the next couple of few weeks hmm. um, but I'm, what I'm also doing like mount, there's a opening weekend at snow summit out here in california for a mountain bike event and so i'll be up there um with that and he's just uh, helping out with that nice that's cool yeah cool so like uh you do like backyard ramps stuff and do you do event stuff too with ramps i don't do event stuff i haven't had a chance to do any event stuff for a while like i mean Back in the early days, we did all the X Games, the Gravity Games, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I like uh, I helped design and build the ramps for the, the the first three warp tours. Oh, nice! Yeah, so I built the ramps and rode on those, doing demos and stuff. And then um, just recently, last couple of years, we built Woodward Park City. I was there for six months with Nate Wessel, Kimler, um, Anthony Napolitan, Brent Heil, John Saxton. 
a, a couple of skateboard builders and we spent six months building park city uh nice. woodward there yeah that's awesome that one looks really sweet yeah so we did all the woodwork like we didn't do any of the concrete stuff but um mm. it was long days um uh, for six months straight now well, hurry up and wait <laughs> totally and we got it done in time it's always trying to make meet a deadline is always difficult yeah i can't imagine every time i build a ramp it's like oh we'll have this done today then it's like no. midnight <laughs> we're not yeah, done yet yeah. yeah no i mean and that was on such a scale that to predict where it was going to you know you have to be done by this date like to start and predict where you're going to be in six months is dude it's like uh, it's, a, it's an impossible task right yeah yeah and somehow they do the like the x games courses and put concrete yeah. on them and everything and then tear them down and yeah they've got it down to a science though like a lot of them they'll use uh they will use styrofoam forms that they uh... yeah so those um once they're used they get broken down the concrete gets broken down and it all gets recycled that's pretty sweet i've seen time lapse video yeah, it's of... sick man it's sick in a lot of ways it's more economical to do it out of concrete than it is to do out of wood because you can you can cover a lot more ground in a short period of time and it's just one layer it's not like ribbing and plywood and skate light it's like that's all very labor intensive and the, the manpower it takes to do the concrete is probably you know two-thirds the amount of people less days to be there less people less employees less materials like it's actually more economical recycling it yep it's harder 100 and if you build ramps you got to store them somewhere it's a so that costs money it's like so building stuff from scratch and then tearing it down and recycling it is much more economical yeah it's a concept i hadn't thought about before yeah it's pretty intelligent the way they do it now yeah hmm cool so cool. uh I want to go back to the the grounded days. Cool. What what what's it like? Were you involved with like going with them to film these things, or just organizing trips, or like how much of it were you actually there for? All of the above. Booking everything, taking care of travel, vehicles, hotels, um, doing international trips, um, like just making sure everyone's taken care of and being there while they film. Like I'll be, I was the other dude pressing buttons on a camera to get the other angles, and um, yeah, I was there for a good chunk of it. Man, that must have been sweet. Yeah, and again, it's like when you're in it, you don't really think about the how pivotal it is, like yeah. how much of an impact that video might have. But it's uh, when you look back and you're like, okay, I was there, and now like it's filmed a certain way, and there's a certain like. Um, a certain like um, texture to the film that, that has been applied that makes it look spectacular like you're like damn that was pretty freaking awesome time yeah man I, I can't imagine looking back on something like that and like like seeing how like you said pivotal it, it can mm -hmm. be and like actually being involved with that thing like yeah 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 totally it's wild to people talk are going to talk about those videos forever yeah yeah like definitely proud of being involved in in all those video projects you know like when you like videos like dirty deeds obviously Perrick did an amazing job of that then forward and 
grounded and chapters and just being you know being around for those periods of time being involved with that knowing all the writers and just being super grateful and appreciative of the you know the talent that was involved from not just the writers but also the filmers and editors and that's just like that humbles me because there's a lot of talented people and like crammed into one project you know yeah yeah man it's 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 cool and and to be able to to say that you were involved directly is it's something to be yeah. proud of you know yeah i mean i got i got the i got the chapters of nora cup sitting on my shelf up there that was badass that was yeah that's definitely one of the wild ones i mean yeah just nathan williams himself is uh yeah is a wild yeah. dude and, and it like i'm like i'm you know chase and nathan in particular for that video have so much footage that there's going to be um re we're going to release second parts that they've done like Jeez. that's coming down that's coming down the line there's so much footage of chase and so much footage of nathan that we're working with dig to do um you know like a new edit let's say mm -hmm. it's pretty pretty i'm excited for that because there's a lot of stuff that i forgot about that's going to be like brand new to me yeah and like i'm like it makes me proud when nathan says that for him that was his his proudest video part like you know he's done other stuff he did christian's video which uh you know was phenomenal the one that you could buy um mm -hmm. but when when he you know he's interviewed and he's he's asked what is his his most proud video part like when he says chapters that makes me really happy and grateful yeah i mean that's kind of the uh that's the goal right 100 percent. yeah you, you never want to make something that people aren't proud of yeah yeah totally 100 percent. i just uh but like watching that even now like some of the stuff he did is mind-blowing like that last clip in there like i completely i was filming third angle and i completely blew it because um he went up and he didn't he didn't hit the rail he, i mean he did a couple of regular like 50 50 down it and mm -hmm. but he was going to backwards crook to 180 out and um he goes up the top of the stairs and i'm filming third angle there's like mike's doing one angle uh this guy ryan sherman's doing a second angle like following up to the stairs and then i'm shooting like a still like what they call dad cam from behind yeah. the tree and i look down the street and there's a cop car coming and I'm like, oh, he's not going to do it. There's a cop car coming. And because he saw the cop car, he's like, okay, I'm going for it. And I completely, I completely blew it. Like, I blew the shot. Like, and that's not the first time. Like, I'm terrible with this shit. Like, uh, but, yeah, so that's a good little backstory on that last clip of Nathan's in Chapters. Wow, that's, that's something that would happen, you know? And yeah, and the cop didn't even stop. Just kept going. Wow. That's the irony of it, and I blew the shot. That's that's when it always happens, though, is when you have the thought of like, oh, this isn't going to. And for me, it's always like I have that thought and then I have the oh, but it is going to be and I'm going to miss it because of it. Yeah. And then that's yeah. what happens. Well, and, and these guys, these guys that ride all the time and they deal with security and, and they have the mentality of like, like for me, like like I'd shut it down if I saw a cop car come I'm like yeah I can't do this now because like I'm gonna get in trouble if I do do it yep but, th but those dudes are willing to take the risk like they'll like 
they'll go for it because it's, it might be the last chance they get to go for it. Make or break, but it, like they'll go for it. Yeah, it takes a special person. It does. To, to... I, know, I know. I know. Those dudes, they deal with they deal with security all the time, and they like being around Nathan is crazy because like it doesn't phase him at all. Like you know, he deals with it. He, in, he takes it in stride, and he just just he'll still even if he knows he's gonna get busted, he still goes for shit. Like I'm like, I couldn't do that. I'm like, I don't want to get in trouble. You know. Yeah, I, I'm the exact same way. I get paranoid when I ride street like that. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's yeah. it's got to be like a situation where I'm totally okay and know that nothing's possibly gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. And, he's, and he's such a like Nathan's such a good dude that like he usually talks his way out of something or can convince the security guard to let him have one or two more tries. Yeah, that's uh, special people, man. Yep. Yeah. They dealt with it. They dealt with it so much, you know. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's a it's an acquired skill. I'm sure. Yeah. To just be able to do that. Yeah. That's cool. Um. You were saying that. I'm trying to think. Did, is there an Edney's video or anything in the works? Like, any that you we can talk couple, about? Uh, we have uh, Jordan Godwin has a shoe coming out. We have like short stuff with him, like a lot of, a lot of shorter stuff. Uh, Devin's got an edit dropping soon for our summer product release um nothing like no big projects um yeah no no like i'm not sure i'm not, not you know i think that the the landscape of full-length videos has changed a little bit like when we did chapters we were like okay we're never doing a video again but then then you have you know other people doing you know digital downloads and stuff like that so i think you know there's possibilities there yeah but for us or for at right now i think it's a lot more smaller projects based around product releases that makes sense and yeah i've no doubt a company is going to test the waters with the digital download thing the way yeah. that nathan did with his video and trey yeah. jones with his i think i think it's a really good way to go yeah absolutely it's just it's letting the people decide what they want to see Yep. and what they're willing to pay for in a similar way to a dvd or yep. full yep. length but i think a lot of people in sport now they're like and this was something i kind of wanted to talk about like people are spoiled with free shit on the internet like the, mm -hmm. like a dude a dude learns a trick or a move and he'll he'll fire it on instagram and it's the craziest shit you've ever seen like hey man pump the brakes because that's really really good content like Everybody puts their stuff up on on social media way too quick and too easily, and I've had the discussion with plenty of guys. But it, it, you wonder why you aren't valuable to a brand. You're you're dumping all your best stuff out there for free. Mm -hmm. So why is a brand going to pay you if you're already dumping your shit out there for free? Yeah. So I look to a guy like I had this discussion. Who I had a discussion with? I talked to somebody about this the other day. But like I always look up to like Garrett Reynolds. I think he's a really good benchmark for the content he puts out. He doesn't. Um, he has gradients of his of his content where like he has his social media. I mean, obviously he's phenomenal. So even his his basic shit is next level. Yeah. But he like he has his social media stuff. Then he has like like let's hypothetically say a frame promo content, which is you know a little bit higher. And then video part stuff, which is just top tier. Yep. And for 
if you want to show value to a brand, you save your top tier shit for the brand because that's kind of what they're paying for. But if you're giving it away for free, then we're like, well, you're going to do it for free anyway. So why are we going to you know, invest in you? Right. You have to have, if you're going to do that, your value has to come from something else. And, yeah. and if you don't have that, then yeah, there's no reason for that. And I had a similar conversation to this with Jamie at Woodward yeah. a couple weeks ago, just talking about how because of the landscape of social media and the, the lack of like having to wait for things, the yeah. anticipation that used to exist in BMX is kind of like gone now. Yeah, where yeah. you were you were excited to see the video because you wanted to see you know this it was like you were waiting because there's nothing else to watch and, yep. and you were waiting to see what people were doing you were excited for x games or whatever it might be because that was where people were gonna go and do their best stuff that they can do and yep. lay it all in the line and and it kind of has changed give me a second i'll plug you in yeah no worries Look at that beautiful backdrop. My drum kit and the guitar and all that bullshit. And a telescope. Telescope, yep. That's sick. But yeah. But anyways, so the the anticipation of all of those things has kind of gone away with social media and what you were saying, how people will post just their best stuff on social media and you don't have nobody has to wait for anything. Contests, yeah. you know yeah. who won before the video's even out for a contest. Yeah, yeah there's got to, like, I, th I think at some point there's got to be a, like, an, and, and obviously in the grand scheme of things, the internet is still pretty young and the content creation is still pretty young. So mm -hmm. I think as time goes by, people will realize how to create more value for themselves in what they do. Mm -hmm. And like you say, you need to pump the brakes on the shit you put out because people want to see your best stuff, but it, on social media like just because you're getting a handful of likes and and some comments and you know 24 hours from now it's kind of down the feed like, yeah you know and then that's that's a shame like i'd rather see it on a for me being old-fashioned i guess i want to see it on a big hd tv and i want to see it like you yeah. know i, I want to be able to rewind it and like pause it and you know really enjoy what what dudes are doing because some of the guys out there nowadays the skill level is insane and it deserves a better platform than just this seven inch six inch screen you know yeah man and uh and i think part of it too depends on like who we're talking about here too like yeah. just you know if you're you know 15 years old yep. saving it for an edit's awesome too but it's not the same as like garrett going out and posting exactly. his banger from the next video he's posting before the video comes out yeah because i think i think like for the, the social media is perfect for the the dude coming up you know if he can have that one clip that friggin blows up and gets him a lot of attention and gets him a lot of followers and it kind of hypothetically goes viral then it's really good for him right but there's also like you get to a certain point in your writing way or your career or whatever you want to call it like that now you got to pump the brakes on that and and save that better stuff because now you have the following and people want to see your stuff that you do on the daily that you can save your better top tier um, bangers for something a little more produced. Produced, you'd say. Produced, yeah, more produced. That's uh, 
and there's also the aspect of if you put yourself on that level then and you're trying to make something happen like this doesn't apply to somebody who's just riding for fun and doesn't care like you could do whatever mm-hmm. you want but if you're trying yeah. to do this for your job like yeah you put yourself on a level where if you post the best stuff that you can do on instagram when you do it people mm-hmm. come to expect that yeah and, and if your videos are the exact are don't live up to that best yeah. thing like you're, yeah. you're you're kind of screwing yourself and you're also when you post the best stuff ever and you do it for for free essentially or instantly or yes. not for a project you're cheapening yourself at the same time yeah. yeah yeah to me it's like it devalues it devalues bmx it devalues um you know how much work you put into it you know what it took to pull that thing you, you know like how hard it was but because you're just giving it away for free it's like you've devalued the overall process and, and the end result yeah it's a it's a thing that I think people may be realizing mm-hmm. and and I think when these conversations happen a lot of the people that hear it are the people who would never actually implement these kinds of things anyways are the people who yeah. aren't trying to be a pro BMX rider or they're yeah. not they're not they're not doing this for a living or anything like yeah. that so so there might be a thing of like the the right people hear it but also the people who aren't it's not intended for think it's intended for them yeah yeah no you're right but it's the other aspect of saving things that I always tell people too is like it's you can post this eventually anyways yep if it's crazy enough yeah then it, you can post it in a couple months or whenever it might be and it's still gonna be the same thing yeah yeah I mean I, like you you look at the dudes who like the classic riders the chase hawks or whatever something they did 10 years ago still holds up today mm-hmm. you know Literally, like stuff that Chase did 10 years ago, his tabletops are never going to get old. Right. So you can post it on YouTube or on your phone or whatever it may be, and it's going to hold up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why, that's kind of why I'm excited for these new parts that Nathan and Chase are kind of going to get with the chapters footage. It may not be a massive part, but like the, I know what they have is really good stuff. Yeah, well, those guys, they have standards for themselves. Yep. So they're only going to put something out that they think is good. Yeah, yeah. And this whole internet instantaneous, like, instant gratification conversation is such an interesting one because of the age that we live in. Because it's just the, the way things are outside of BMX. Yeah, it's crazy, man, like, and it has its place like you it totally has its place you know it's such a useful tool like but so from when i started writing to where we are now that's a 43 year period of time that i've seen it go from no one with cameras or anything to a studio in your hand literally you know, it's, it's pretty crazy like mm-hmm. and trying to stay like you know you know I sound old but just trying to keep up with the technology is pretty crazy like because it's part of my daily gig you know like doing social media and shit for it it's just like it's a good time to be alive I think 
other than COVID and crap like that. But yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that like we live in the most technologically advanced time that we've ever known. And yeah, you said it is a studio in your hands. I mean, I don't edit on my phone, but you know, 95% of what I post comes from this. Yeah. Yeah. I retired my camera that I used to use to film my real videos with and and it honestly made it easier yeah totally because it, it used to be like oh I'm riding oh I'm gonna do this thing that I think is way too good for a YouTube video or way too good to post on Instagram right away gotta get the camera out we'll set it up we'll film it whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. now I just film everything with my phone and then just don't use the stuff that's too good yeah but it's awesome too because because of the channel you're putting it through whether it's you know you're it's either going on instagram or whatever and it's automatically on your phone kind of ready to go rather than have to download it edit it upload it blah 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 like it's just it's all right there yeah i mean you've lived through the age and i don't know how close you would have worked with it but there was a period of time where people had to edit using vhs players Mm -hmm. and recording yeah i'm wondering was if there was ever a time is, is BMX old enough that there was BMX videos that had to have physically cut film uh, I'm sure they exist but um, the VCR to VCR thing was totally prevalent when I was you know coming up like or I would say coming up but in the midst of my writing I've heard stories about that man I don't know I mean obviously if you have no other choice you mm-hmm. that's just what you're gonna do to oh, it's bmx you know it's diy like it's, it's always diy it's always been that way building yeah. jumps building ramps it's like you you and it's a, those times are the most progressive times is when you're doing diy stuff like, yeah so that means it didn't it doesn't exist and you're doing it yourself yeah yeah a lot of shit got figured out that way you know yeah yeah it's interesting where do you what, where do you, what do you think BMX is going to look like in a couple of years or moving forward? Maybe not a couple of years, but like with the landscape that we have now, what do you think we go? You're always going to have your core side of riding, but I think there's going to be a, there's a divide in the road coming with the Olympic style stuff. And we're already seeing it, you know, like there's those style riders that are just training healthy gyms, nutrition, blah, blah, blah. And it's going to, you know there's already drug testing like you know it's it's that's going to become more prevalent because people are going to take that as a as a an avenue as a career path like it's that's what it's going to be they're going to move in towards that you're always going to have your core dudes you know yeah I mean, you know um uh, for the dudes that stay in bmx i think there's going to be a lot i think it's going to bring more opportunity like but you're going to have brands that come into the sport looking for that competition path, you know, mm-hmm. like, so when I, you know, I look at the Olympics and, and for me, like the, the course is regressed in a lot of ways. It's kind of gone back to like an old BS contest with ramps and stuff. And it's just like, it's progressive with the tricks people are doing. But like when you see like a, a, a pro cup, like, they build a bowl that's you've got to learn to navigate the bowl in a, mm-hmm. in a new a new original way and you'll have guys that are like the guys that like the the feast dudes or the or the olympic dudes who don't do well in competition at one of those pro cups but their riding is of such a high standard 
but don't do well and they wonder why mm-hmm. and it's because like you know if it was about the tricks every time they build a pro cup bowl it'd be the same bowl every time right you know, you know because the, the reason they create new designs is so it gets used differently and uniquely every time yeah because there's a lot of those guys who do tricks they make a beeline for the box jump a beeline for the quarter pipe and they don't come up with original line, like routes to get to you know those tricks um so when i look at the like a like a like a olympic course it's it's very much set up for the trick guys you know like just to yeah. go big and, and double flips and double flares and whatever it may be so i think there's going to be a, a like a, a not a shift but there's going to be a lot of people who gravitate towards the gymnastic style of the riding part of it mm-hmm. but and you're going to have the guys who just keep doing what they're doing in the woods building dirt jumps and there's going to be a lot more opportunity for the competition guys, I think. And it might it might alienate the guys who are in the core. But there's an element too, like for brands like Etnies, where we we look for lifestyle, we look for um, personality. We it's not not necessarily about the tricks, you know. Yeah, yeah. I that's, think... always, that's, always, that's always been my vision for the riders that that we have on the team is marketable dudes, like you know, dudes that other dudes like. Riders that other riders want to be. Mm-hmm. As time goes by, those riders who riders want to be might be Logan Martin, you know. Yeah. But those those guys. They, for me, when I watch their stuff, it becomes a blur, and like, a lot of times I can't tell one rider from the other because a lot of like, you do X amount of tail whips, you lose any amount of like you lose any amount of style that that tr- trick would have had if you only did one of them. Right. You know, but if I look at like obviously dudes like Aitken or, or Clint Reynolds or Chase or, or, or I don't know like Dennis Anderson like I can tell there's a style there so I could see him from a mile away but the guys that are doing the flippity dippity shit I'm like I can't tell one dude from another I can but not it's really hard no, I get it fully and I hope that what we see if you're right in that they're research or not resurgence the whatever the other word would be for that of park stuff kind of heightens that we see more people like boyd hilder who are able to come in and still do well against those park guys who are doing all the crazy tricks to just and and dennis as an example too because dennis can be two two dudes yeah perfect examples right there they both have the ability to come in and win against the park guys and that that shows that it's possible so i hope that we'll get more of that and more variety through that and and we see someone like boyd or dennis competing at that level oh yeah i mean i know that dennis was you know he had the opportunity to go like to the olympic qualifiers it just wasn't something he wanted to do he like didn't dummy down his riding but he just you know it's not his i don't think it's what he gets most enjoyment out of right Right. But yeah, Boyd's, Boyd's an amazing example because he's, dude, one of my favorite riders. He's phenomenal. The way he uses the same course that that yeah. anyone else uses is just, it's amazing. And I, yeah, just, his skills are just insane. I agree fully. Um, yeah. But I think, too, the, the opportunities for the park Olympic-style people 
they probably will increase, but I think at the same time, mm -hmm. they will probably increase opportunities for other people at I the agree. same time. Yeah, I agree. Maybe not to the same degree, but yeah, yeah. Because I mean, because there's going to be brands that are looking for those dudes. They're, they're looking for the next Olympic champion. And mm -hmm. There's a lot of talented writers out there, but they may not be necessarily Logan Martin, you know? Right. I mean, just look at what happened right before the Olympics. Nick Bruce and Hannah Roberts were the yeah. two that I noticed because they're mm -hmm. the closest. But they were getting all these crazy deals that they were posting about, like Nick and Champion and Hannah with yep. the Got Milk thing. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think those opportunities for the right people will just make more opportunities for more yeah. people. I mean, it was the same in Mira's time when Mira was the face of X Games. It was, you know, Slim Jim and, you know, deodorant companies and it was those always that they may not necessarily last but i showed these people that get those kind of opportunities do you know are smart about it and, and capitalize on it and save while they can because it in a weird way like you know bmx might their career path may be actually longer than a football player or a basketball player but it's not going to last forever and it could end not in the best way, you know, because mm -hmm. it's obviously a dangerous sport. So hopefully those guys and girls invest wisely. Yeah, I, I did one of these with uh, Dorito, Jason Purse. Yep. We, yep. we talked about that side of things and just yep. how different potential things you can look at and pay attention to to help set yourself up for yeah, yeah. whatever yeah. comes next, whether it's not being pro anymore, whatever you might decide, just setting yourself yep. up better for life. Yeah, Through I mean, those. Like Terry, like Terry Adams, for example, he's, he's, uh, I look up to him. What he did with with BMX, and he's a very driven person, and and um, he was smart with the the probably at the beginning the little money he did have, and he had a, he had somebody who became a mentor for him, and he's just he's outside of BMX, and you would never know it, and he doesn't barely ever talk about it, but he's he's a real estate mogul. Like he's, hmm. he's killing it. I, I never he's know. Intro, yep, he's dude. He's killing it. That's awesome. It. Yeah, and um, that's uh, I, like, he's got to look up to him. Yeah, I wish people like that. Maybe he hasn't had the opportunity and is willing, but I I hope that people who are in those situations maybe could help guide some people because yeah you've done it you've navigated those waters and there's people yeah. who could do similar paths or just take the inspiration to do better and set themselves up yeah. just from T hearing about it terry terry is a dude that would if, if there was ever a bmx ted talk he would be a good dude to have like because he's just he's he loves bmx with a passion and he's mm -hmm. he ain't he ain't giving up anytime soon but he's also he when he saw an opportunity to do something else and and kind of set himself up for the future he definitely took advantage of that yeah and and it was probably through the eyes of like i want to ride as long as i can without having to worry about doing anything else and that was i mean if you have that foresight when you're a kid man like you're going to succeed you know yep and all we got to do to help people do that is just talk about it like we are right now yeah yeah no totally and it's like i wish i'd learned i mean it's never too late, I guess, but like, I wish I'd learned more younger, you know, and I had like had a role model like he has. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that for sure. It's, it's a, it's a weird dynamic, man. Like it depends on your upbringing too, because like 
my my parents they never you know they they come home from work and you know you you fall into this routine of you finish school you go to college or you get a job and that's just your life that's yep. what you presume life is but there's as i've grown older i've learned there's so much more than that and there is a lot more opportunity out there if, if you don't have to work for somebody else you can do whatever you want to do yeah man that's exactly it and i unfortunately fell into that trap for a minute and yep. i went to school then mm -hmm. there was a period after i'd been there for a little bit where i was like i already have a video job i kind of want to just take a year off and work yep. and then everybody in my family was like no 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 you won't go back so yep. i finished out school got laid off right after a guy <laughs> so it was like yeah well you're in the same position you would have been in but you got a whole bunch of debt and it was right then yeah. and there that i just decided like never yeah. having a full-time job ever again and yeah. that's when this started that's awesome man yeah i mean there's a uh, i'm not going to name it but there's a pro bmx so that he he uh former pro but went to school got an education got 60 70 80 thousand dollars in debt and he ended up hating his job and he just didn't do what he went to school for and it just it's weird how life changes for people you know yeah it's it's unfortunate that people get pressured into those things when they're too young to really be able to make those types of decisions for themselves. Yeah. And then, you know, you think you're doing the right thing, but it's not necessarily the right thing. Like, you got to do what makes you happy. That's exactly it. And that's that's all you can do in life, trying to yeah. do what makes I, you happy. I think sometimes, like, people are so caught up in what they think they should be doing in life, like in the, the regular career paths, when th their own self-happiness is the biggest, the most important thing. Yeah, man, there's definitely, there's definitely that aspect of life of just what you should be in, like, what everyone's, what people are supposed to do in life. 100%. And, and 100%. It's, it sucks whenever it takes you too long to realize that that's all horseshit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Like, I got to, like, after, um, like, when I had a vacation from Etnies or whatever you want to call it, like, after that happened, I realized how expendable I was, and I was like, I, I don't want to work for anyone ever again. I, I don't want to be put in that position again. So um, everything I do now is just, you know, I'm self-employed, so. Yeah, and in, in the age of the Internet, that is totally possible for 100%. a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I think I'm glad that you brought that up because that's a very important thing that even though a lot of people who are watching this are older, just mm -hmm. anyone who can hear that and might need to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, if you've seen the Bloom BMX, yeah, Beatrice just quit her job and is going full at it with the Bloom. Sick. Awesome. And Good for her. It's a perfect example of that as like do just going for it. Trying. Yeah. So it was. It was. You know, when um, my situation happened with that is, like, I I spent so many sleepless nights. Like, dude, what what the fuck am I gonna do now? Like, like I just I felt like completely like broke down and like didn't know what I was gonna do. Like, and really should have had more confidence in myself, knowing I'd survive no matter what. Mm -hmm. But then the same. I was with. Uh, Fudger when the whole ride magazine thing went down mm. and like he saw me go through what I went through and I was hanging out with him and I, I saw him go through the exact same kind of depression period and then 
I think in his mind he was like, yeah, I'm not gonna fucking work for anyone ever again. I don't want to ever be disposed of like that again. Yeah. Because those, those dudes busted their ass and made like something happen with nothing, and they were always, you know, under budget, whatever, and and they were just kicked to the curb. So for him to just rise up and do his own thing, it was pretty awesome. I wonder how many of us have been inspired to do our own thing because of that exact situation. Quite a few, probably. Because that's three that we just, like, myself, yourself, and, and them. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's our... Yeah, yeah, it needs to happen more. Like, because you, you don't need to conform to what everyone thinks you should be doing. No, I mean, how many people work a job that they hate mm-hmm. for a boss that hates them and that they hate yeah and there's you know the the, the amount of time you, you're not you're not getting rich but you're making somebody else hypothetically rich but when you could be putting that much effort into something that you you have control over and you own and you garner the 100 percent results from it you know like yep yeah whether good or bad you take on a lot more responsibility but also, if things go well, it's, it's all you. It's 100% you, and you you can, you know, pat yourself on the back knowing that you did it. Yeah, and I guess part of it, too, like, not... I don't want to make it seem like through this conversation that it's easy, because it's definitely oh. not easy. And the, and when you say that, like, it's 100% on you when things go well, it's also 100% on you when things go bad. Agreed. And... I think there's probably some people out there who like the security of like, well, I just get to go to work and I don't have to worry about this. I just do my job and I don't have to. That's true because you, you, have, you have a job and you, a lot of benefits come with that job. Like, you know, it's, you get a clock out at 5 p.m. You're done for the day. You don't have to think about it. You mm-hmm. get medical insurance, dental insurance, you, you know, uh, whatever it may be. But that's like that comfort zone is sometimes not a good place to be, you know, like because you become complacent yeah yeah they, that's what they say right you yep. shouldn't, shouldn't be comfortable yeah <laughs> but whenever you're doing things on your own it is constantly w- w- thinking about uncomfortable. it it's constantly uncomfortable <laughs> yeah i think i've gotten to the point where it's like i'm just comfortable being in that position anymore yeah yeah and I don't know how much of what you do like can be done at any given time but mm-hmm. with like making videos and having videos filmed I really never have like if I wanted to edit for 24 hours straight every single day I could do that until yeah. I run out so it's like in those moments of not doing anything it trains you to just have such a work mindset ethic yeah where yeah, you're yeah, like totally. all right I'm not doing anything. I should be working. I feel guilty. Well, but no one's picking up the slack. It's all on you, right? Yep. That's why. So there's definitely two sides to to it. But totally. no, and I'm not faulting anybody who wants a regular job. I just uh, I got to a point where like I realized I was disposable, and, and like I was like, yeah, I don't want to feel that way again. It, it was pretty degrading. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's part of the root for myself too, and just. But having a boss sucks. Yep, agreed. That's like, although I do answer to people, but at least I could, I could just check out anytime and just okay, fuck you guys. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, I do have a part-time thing. It's only mm-hmm. like a few hours a week, Tuesday through Thursday. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have it if it wasn't 
the way it is with the people. Like, I don't feel yeah. like I have a boss. Weird. Okay, good. That's it, good. It's so, and I work from home. It's a YouTube thing too. So it's like, that's awesome. yeah, my, yeah. So my life's a hundred percent YouTube. That's good. Uh, so I had a text here from okay. the man, Kevin Connors himself. Oh shit. <laughs> no, no, no. This is a good one because it affects me directly. He said, FYI, Pova did the first ice pick. Oh shit. You did the first ice pick? Down a rail, yeah. Oh, not well, stall. No, not stall. But you know, a lot of times there's these things that happen where somebody else across the country is doing the same thing as you. So um, I know for me, I Keith Trainer did the first ice pick down a rail. Yeah. I got the first one on film. Mm because Keith tried to film it and hung up on a vertical and smashed his face and knocked his teeth out. Uh, so when it came time to film it, I was the one that got it on film. It's in this video from 1990 called um, The Ultimate Weekend. It's on YouTube. It's, uh, the premise for the video is fun, but it's not the best produced, I would say. Mm -hmm. But it, it was good, yeah. But then, so apparently, you know, uh, Psycho, who rode for Hoffman Bikes and did all the artwork for Hoffman Bikes. Apparently, he did them at the same time. So, you know, it's, it's just these things are run in parallels, you know? So I can't say if if Keith did it first or he did it first, but I got the first one on film, as far as I know. That's pretty badass. Yeah. And it, the rail wasn't huge. It was down, like, five stairs or some shit. Yeah, but still enough to... Nina said she tuned in. Nina, what's up, Nina? She's yeah. in Ohio. Yep. It's awesome. I should. I've had her on here before. Yeah, she's awesome. I love her girl. Like she's I, such a role model for the girls. I'm genuinely so stoked about her moving to Ohio because she's yeah. already brought so many people through town, and yep. that would have probably not been here. And yeah, it's it's been really rad. Yeah, she's a. Uh, She's done good things for the whole BMX scene for the girls. I just in just in general, she's just fucking awesome. Yep. So Nina, if you're still listening, you're the best. <laughs> yep, you're the best. We love you. Oh man. Uh, so you mentioned how you wanted to talk about that uh, instant side of BMX. Was there anything else that you thought about that you wanted to bring up? Um, you know, maybe like um, I think about this a lot, like how, you know, there's certain elements of right, like periods of time or riders that frown on other other riders for doing what they want to do. But um, this always comes to mind when, like, w whenever your heyday was in your riding, it becomes the most, you know, that's the period of time you're stuck in. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, because whether you move on to something else, whether it be outside of BMX or you keep riding, but there was a period of time when you were riding at your best and that's always been the window of time you gravitate towards. So I feel like anybody that comes after that, if you're still riding, always seems to, there's some negativity there when really there should be more inclusiveness and, and more sense of community just from a BMX standpoint. Um, I don't really know my point there, but I just, I know that like, you know, if you were, we'll use Eddie Fiola, for example, from like 84 to 89, he was the king, you know, like, 
Mm-hmm. And that was his period of time. Well, he's been riding ever since. He still rides today, you know, but like, you know, people look at him like he's some just old dude that rides a bike. But, um, but they forget how pivotal and what he did was so impactful and allows the sport or catapults the sport to the next era, you know? Yeah. And there's guys that are recognized for it, like, you know, obviously Hoffman's or Mike Dominguez or Brian Blythe or Dave Volker or Pete Augustine or like any of these. 80s dudes Matt especially you know like he if it wasn't for those people they they, they catapult they, they prove things are possible mm-hmm. like when Matt did the first flip fakey on a quarter or flare you know like people now realize that's real and it catapults things to the next thing but yeah people people live in the period of time that they're writing that their writing was the best and anyone past that forgets that but there's always these stepping stones to the next progression or the next level of riding, you know, like that. Would, I don't know where I'm going with that, but that's always that always plays on my mind. I think sometimes that gets forgotten because people are living in the moment that they most revere in BMX, you know. Yeah, you see it all the time where people are talking about the golden age of BMX, and yeah. arguably there are times which were get better for whatever reason than others. But I I've said it a lot too that the same thing you're talking about like your bubble of bmx is always going to be your bubble of bmx and and when people talk down on like today's bmx saying that Mm -hmm. their time was better what they're not realizing is that kids today are going to feel the exact same way in 20 years you articulated it better than i did but exactly (laughs) like so now whatever now is whether it's now or 10 years from now is the best time in bmx yeah it's always the best time you know, like whether it's financially better or not, like that's one thing, but like just from the writing standpoint, like is always going to be the best time. So, yeah, it, from the ob- there's ways to measure it objectively, but from a subjective yeah. point of view, it's yep. I've felt the exact same way because I recognized it like early that that's how yeah. things were, where people were like, oh, it's the best time or whatever. And, yep. and, and I think it was because I had so many people around me that would like, fade in and out of bmx and then there's all these older dudes around that i'm hanging out with just talking about how amazing bmx used to be and when they say that i'm like dude bmx is still the best thing ever it's still awesome dude i mean you there's arguments for and against because if you go back and look at some of those old bikes they were shit (laughs) you know what i mean like so how can that be better but i mean from a progression standpoint or or sponsorship standpoint yeah you know like maybe it was you know Mm -hmm. but now the time that every kid is living now is the best time in bmx and everyone should enjoy that and then tomorrow will be the best time and yep because uh, yeah it is what you make it and agreed that's the way i've always looked at it because clearly you're looking at me right now i'm living in 2006. (laughs) no no but but you're a good example of it like you you ride how you want to ride and it's the best time in bmx for you yep and and then rob Rob ridge is hanging out in a warehouse in, in the on the spine and he's like it's the best time of BMX for him, and he's progressing. He's it's just it's phenomenal on every level, you know. Yep, I wholeheartedly agree, and and I think part of it is some people have accepted the fact that time goes on, mm-hmm. and things move on. Some people haven't. Yeah, and it's just like, yeah, things have changed, but 
the more things change, the more they stay the same. And you can always still do the same things that you were doing yep. in that time period. 100%. Agreed. Yeah. And, and for the people that I always grew up hearing say that are guys that are like not like super old. So it's like, you know, early 2000s yeah. was their heyday where bike geometry is not crazy far from where it's at today and like bike yeah. construction is pretty similar it was obviously going through its phases yeah. there but but it's mainly the riding and like the pros and when you look at it like there's a lot of people who are coming up in that time period who are still there today like Corey yeah, martinez yeah. dude right i was right i was with him over, over the weekend like i i you know he doesn't seem to age like he's i've known him for 20 something years and now like he doesn't seem to age and he's phenomenal on a bike yeah phenomenal yeah i'm glad you brought that up because i've i felt the exact same way for so long and and i think that when you articulate it in the way that we both just did it some it helps at least the people who can be reasoned with understand yeah yeah yeah, yeah. can't reason with everyone though you know right how, how, do you, how do you feel about the whole wheelie bike thing i actually haven't thought too in depth about how i feel about it i i i guess my first thoughts would be from what you see it seems like it's a totally different demographic than what people who would be riding freestyle bmx yeah i, I don't know i don't look super close but like the people that you see seem like they're a different group of people than than what I guess I don't know enough to really say a lot yeah I think like for me it's like obviously there's a lot of older guys getting into it but it's also created a new scene for some of the younger kids and the it's almost like freestyle from its from its beginnings like some of the the most basic 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 trips tricks and they've created their own scene from it mm -hmm. and i know people people are saying it's not bmx but what what is bmx man trail riding freestyle street bmx racing skate park everyone's bike set up a little different like it's just a bigger bmx right like dude it doesn't matter what kind of bike you're on when you see something that is bmx you're like yeah. that is bmx and then for me, like, if, if that gets somebody else into, you know, the version of BMX that I hold most dear, then I'm all for it. Like, mm -hmm. you know. So yeah, I, you know, again, like I said, I, I look at Olympic stuff. It's not my cup of tea. The wheelie bike thing is not necessarily my cup of tea, but there's room for everybody, right? Like, oh, yeah. And a lot of the parts translate over. So if wheelie yeah. bike goes big, then like certain aspects of BMX can go big. One yeah. thing I have had thoughts on with the wheelie bike thing is when you see people trying so, to. Sorry, I'll only get called out for this. It's bike life. I've got to correct us because I'll get in trouble for this. Oh, whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm an old man. Wheelie bike. <laughs> no, yeah. uh, but bike life, wheelie bike, whatever it might be. When those people who are riding those bikes are trying to do like tricks that you see people do on bmx bikes all the time mm -hmm. all i can think is like dude that looks so much harder just get a bmx bike and you'll <laughs> do it, it instantly 
Yeah, it is. It is. But it's so they may those dudes who are struggling to do a tail whip on a 29 inch bike, they may gravitate back towards a 24 inch or 22 or a 20. You know, like it, it may work. Yeah. In our in our favor to to have have them come back into like the world of BMX freestyle, which is you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's all connected. And I, I like the one thing I, I'm not too much a huge fan of, and I think it sets a bad precedent for kids, is the the swerving shit when they're swerving oh in front of cars. Oh my god! Yeah, you're gonna teach yeah. kids to just kill themselves by swerving in front of a car. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, there's been bad endings to like some videos I've seen. Like, I haven't seen anyone get too hurt, but like, you're damaging property. You're like, you could potentially make somebody crash or. I don't know. Like, there's it's, a, it's probably fun, but it's like, man, you're pushing the limits. It's uh, you got a, a four thousand pound car as opposed to a hundred and thirty pound kid. Right. Who's gonna win? Right. At the same time, I mean, what did BMX Street start out as? Agreed. You gotta learn from your mistakes. You, you know, you yeah. might have to learn the. You might have to learn the hard way. Yeah. I don't know. I guess. I'm developing my thoughts on it right now. And I wasn't yeah. trying to say anything's wrong with like trying to do tricks no, no, on totally, those things. Totally. I'm just saying when I see it, I'm like, dude, that looks way too hard. Yeah, but they've got their own thing. They've got their, you know, they're, they're, a lot of the tricks are super basic, like it was when freestyle started doing like yeah. peg hops and, you know, surfers and shit like that. Like it's, it's just all, it's kind of a dumbing down basic version of BMX. And, and they found their own scene for it, you know? Yeah, I would imagine. It's, it's like scooters, but not like scooters, and that scootering is way, way, way easier than BMX, and this yeah. is, like, way, way, way harder than BMX yeah. Yeah, in, yeah. in aspects of, like, bunny hopping and doing 180s yeah. and things. The wheelies, yeah. they're made to do wheelies, so it, it yeah. seems like it's really easy to do that. Yeah, I mean, they're easy. I mean, they pitch their seat a certain way that they can... The seat's pitched way down, so when they're wheeling, it's flat, so it's perfect for them to do their shit on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I would imagine you're probably right. We're going to see people coming from there into BMX. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, like, but it's crazy because you'll see, like, a eight-year-old kid riding a 27-inch bike, and you're like, holy shit, thing's huge for him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Just ride a 20-inch, dude. It fits better. And I think there will be people who see that, and we see that through it. Yeah. It's an interesting well, thing. It's just more people on bikes. That's all, you know, if... If, yeah. you know if, if brands like I don't know I mean obviously he's been su successful for the wild man and you know he's he's built a whole you know built a whole scene you know right him and that D-Blocks dude like they've done amazing things for SE bikes you know right yeah I don't see a ton I, I follow Todd on Instagram so I see what he posts but yeah. I don't see a ton of like what they're doing if they're doing like obviously one thing okay developing my thoughts here Good. they do schedule you see them do like their ride outs tons at a set like and it's every week same day yeah. i think that that's something that you see like older guys do in bmx where they're playing like all right tuesday's old man night and we're all going to get together yep but like i think that sense of community if it rubs off on bmx could be a great thing too that's a good point. I, I, I agree with that. That would be awesome if you have, like, not ride outs, but, like, 
you know, you meet up at a street spot or whatever it may be, or or the local skate park once every month or something. It just builds a sense of community. Yeah. And, they, and, they, and it is. It's like rad seeing, you know, the young and old, moms and dads, and everyone's out there doing it. And the couple of the rides that I've been around here, like in LA and Long Beach, man, like some of them are like, they're 5,000 people deep. It's insane. Whoa. Dude, it's insane. That is insane. It is. Like when you, it's like a, it's an overwhelming sense of power when you're going down the street and the cops are lining the street so that you can go through without interference. Wow. Like you're, you're, you're running through red lights and, and the cops ain't doing nothing. It's like, you know, it, it's pretty rad. Like it's a cool thing, even though I'm on a 20 inch bike. But Well, that's one thing I think I see a lot of people who are going to those on their BMX bikes. Yeah. Yeah. It seems pretty cool. Yeah. So how, how do you feel about uh, a lot of dudes crossing over in a mountain bike? If you're not making enough money in BMX and you go to mountain biking and you also ride BMX and you can afford to be able to do whatever you want and ride your bike whenever you want, I don't think anybody can say anything bad about that to a certain extent. I agree. Like anyone who says anything bad about that has some type of other thing that's going on because nobody who has a dream or has the potential to ride their bike as a living and ride every mm -hmm. single day whenever they want mm -hmm. wants somebody else to have to get a job right like i agree like it's like like i, I think it maybe sometimes it's the closed-mindedness of some of bmx's where you shouldn't do anything else but bmx mm -hmm. and and like you're really good at BMX, so why would you even go somewhere else? But like, like you say, like, there's a, like if there's an opportunity for somebody, why wouldn't you let that person be excited and be excited for that person to have the opportunity? Exactly, that's exactly yeah. it. And and we can all, there's room for all of us to succeed. And I, I will say this, that pretty much every two wheel sport and all the tricks that come from the like that are in all the other sports, whether it be scooters, freestyle motocross, mountain biking, all stem from BMX. So we need to be proud of that. Like mm -hmm. if you look at all the stuff that's happening in freestyle motocross or anything like is, is all, you know, stemmed from BMX bikes. And what I hear is like in the mountain bike world that anybody who's pretty good on a BMX bike can go to that world and like do well. Yeah, it's what yeah, I, I mean, hear. I mean, there's a there's a learning curve. The, the bikes are definitely. I mean, I ride a mountain bike, and it's definitely a different thing. It's more like riding a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, if you got a skill set in BMX, like someone like Corey Martinez or Christian Rigal, like it's easy for them to cross over. And like Christian is so multi-talented with with camera work and whatever. He brings so much value to that world. Where in BMX, he was struggling. Yeah, you know, like it, it was—it's a battle in BMX. Like, again, it comes back to the the margins in 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 the you know in the BMX bike world. It's like everything is affordable. I mean, I know kids probably think is expensive, but so I'll use an example. In the 1986, there was uh, you could buy a Haro Sport frame and fork kit. And that frame and fork kit was around three hundred dollars. 
inflation is three percent per year it's probably like 20 percent this in the last year but oh yeah so so do the math on on th 36 years ago three percent per year what a frame should cost it's well like, you can do that what year did you say again 86 three hundred dollars in 1986 today uh <laughs> i'd like do you want to take a guess seven hundred eight hundred dollars oh my god you're good yeah seven hundred ninety-one i already looked it up oh <laughs> damn but, it but you know what i'm saying like and if you look at the mountain bikes the dirt jumper frames they're essentially a big bmx bike and that's what they charge because mm -hmm. they're charging realistic margins yeah. but the, the, a, a large part of bmx is is kind of like if if kink makes a bike for a 399 then fit's going to make a bike for a 389 and like it's like kind of a race to the bottom because you're trying to undercut the next person yeah when really and you can see you see it with profile you're able to charge a premium you know obviously they're american made same as s and m and i'll use chris as an example like he's kind of the uh, the gatekeeper i would say to price change like if he when he when he steps up his prices other people are willing to do it but until somebody takes that lead nobody does but point being was goes back to the mountain bike thing like that's why those dudes go to the mountain bike world because margins over there are phenomenal i have a mountain bike i've replaced the bearings on the wheels three times and they were 80 80 bucks a, like a pair jesus yeah and when I re I replaced like bearings in my profile hubs, they were like thirty bucks. Like, yeah. and they're way better quality bearing in the profile hub compared to the mountain bike. But they, they they're 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 selling to that kind of level of audience. That kind of those people who have that kind of money. But the, uh -huh. they're realistic. They're realistic margins to where they can afford to do bigger events, pay their riders better, and BMX needs to learn from that. I think. Yeah. And. In that, I posted a clip from the Kevin thing that I did where he talked about how he hates to say it, but he hopes the value of like BMX frames goes up because it, he, it needs to. Because yeah. if, if you, you've got riders who 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 deserve more, who who are barely getting by. Right. Exactly. And and that was his comment was like, I would love to be able to pay someone like Dennis more mm -hmm. money or send them to more places and meet more yep. kids and meet more people if and it would be more possible and and i think the thing that people missed in that whole entire thing obviously that was a one minute segment from a two-hour conversation so mm -hmm. you can't get the full picture but yeah, what yeah. people missed they didn't think about was like that would be an increase on a signature product for dennis Anderson, not yep. the not the baseline haro frame that is yep. meant to be a budget product and like so it's like you, you'd make the choice in bmx you yeah. do you buy the budget thing to get the cheapest thing you can or do you spend a little bit more knowing that it goes to helping dennis anderson go somewhere or make a little bit more money i i just i think that it's weird like there was a period of time like like probably five or six years ago when people realized they could do well with complete bikes mm -hmm. and they and they sold 200 bikes in a year and they're like okay well we sold 200 now we can do 300 now we can do 500 and all of a sudden everybody's got their complete bike and you hit a ceiling where you can't force more bikes on the market yeah 
and now you're you're dropping prices because you've got to keep getting these things out there when really you if if there was a greater margin and less supply and a higher demand yeah it's it's a little bit easier to regulate rather than discounting shit and just pushing it out there like just just for me like in my mind to create more of a demand than a supply at the right margin there's less overhead there's less warehouse less employees like so there's there's more money that goes back to the marketing of the brand so everything that involves the riders getting paid more more projects more like running more ads more running more events like but everyone's running on empty all the time mm -hmm. like and i know there's riders out there who don't believe that but believe me these brands do not make as much money as you think they do on bmx yeah and it's one of those things where I feel like BMX as a whole, like all of the companies need to have like a, a meeting and, yeah. and everyone needs to work out and like agree you, on pricing. Ain't gonna, ain't gonna it's never going to happen. No, no, but what, you, happen. <laughs> what you did see though is that uh, S or not SM Sunday and Odyssey have been raising their prices, so their frame prices went up then. S&M just recently announced their prices are going up so mm -hmm. you're going to see everyone else's prices going up and I don't know what their margins are worked into those price increases are but I really hope that they made a little bit more room for them so that more things can happen and they yeah. can do it's better. A, it's, a, it's a tough one because like you you know direct to consumer is, is, a, is a very real thing these days and, and like wh when brands can do that they're making a lot you know they're doing they're doing better but then still not doing great because they're fighting these other brands at a, like a, a lower price or a lesser quality or whatever it may be but they're still they're still trying to be competitive um like my girl and i we went to a, a like a business seminar thing and they're like if you're not making 65 or more percent uh, like <laughs> on your on your product oh god you're, you're not a business yeah but i know i know after distributors and accounts but buy bmx stuff like some of them are making 25 percent, 30 percent. like yeah so you have to do like you have to make that up in quantity yeah and and that's a problem when you have so much quantity out there like that's what i'm saying like if there's a way of pumping the brakes on it a little bit and just create more of a demand with a higher margin people would look after their product better and 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 because I know, because stuff is reasonably priced now, I know dudes that switch frames, that they'll trade frames with their friends. Yeah. That's that's two lost sales. Oh, yeah. You know? You know what I mean? Like, I know people that do that shit. And, and like, because shit, you, like, your dad or mom is not going to get mad at you for trading a frame that you've had for a year that's, that they paid 300 bucks for. Yeah. If it was if it was a $900 frame, $800 frame, like, you're going to think about it a little bit more right it makes sense it's, it's such a hard thing because nobody wants to pay more for things no but we're in a state where it, like it, it needs it almost needs to happen no no it has to, it has to happen like it, it has to happen for just the health of the sport you can't always be just getting by and that's what it seems like it is right right and it's it's been that way for how long well, it goes through ebbs and flows. Sometimes, like, you know, brands will be in it, like the GTs and the Haros back in the day when they were one of one of three or four brands. It was easy to it was easy to kind of 
do well then because it not easy but easier because there was less competition but now there's so many freaking brands out there and then you got all these crappy department store like look-alike bikes that are pretend bmx's mm -hmm. you know pretend mountain bikes it's like that that all takes up market share when like some of those bikes are fucking dangerous you know oh yeah um but it all takes up market share when there's brands out there that are, you know make a quality product even though it's more than those department store bikes like those are the brands that should be succeeding and it should be come, be coming back into the industry and, and taking care of riders and doing events and just blowing up our sport as a whole yeah i hope i really hope that the olympics and everything that comes from it can help with that i think it will i think it will you you there's going to be some growing pains from it like you, the department store bike thing like you could argue that people get a crappy BMX bike and they move on to a better BMX bike but if they have a bad experience the first time around they might not come in for a second experience right yeah that's why I always with any video I have that is teaching people about shopping for a BMX bike I always recommend the full chromoly frame fork handlebars yeah. sink double walled yeah. rims sealed pubs everything because you're gonna spend the money twice no mm -hmm. matter if you don't that makes sense 100 percent, right like it's common sense but people like the it's instant like you know a parent's gonna be like well he's johnny's gonna ride the bike for a month and then he's gonna be over it's gonna sit in the garage he's never gonna use it again so i'm gonna buy him a, a walmart bike mm -hmm. that's the that's the fear of a lot of parents yeah that's the that's the opposite end of it where Johnny doesn't even get the opportunity to actually try to learn how to ride BMX yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yep, it's true. But I think I think it also comes down to education and teaching the values of quality product. Right. Right. That's it's absolutely it. I mean, I Yeah, that's what I try to do, essentially. You do a good job, man. Like me and Mola had a the fit premiere the other day Chris and I were talking about like you're the only dude that kind of has is like a news channel like it's like mm -hmm. you provide the service and there's um, like a lot of the other channels are pay to play you know like you, you do a good job of like presenting the news as it's as it's happening kind of thing yeah I appreciate hearing that just you're, you're the TMZ of BMX <laughs> there's no <laughs> sensationalism here no, I know, I'm kidding. That's funny. Just trying, man. I, I have started to to reach out to do more like overview, product review type stuff for companies. That's cool. And and that'll help me and yeah, it'll yeah. create opportunities at the same time. But it will never be a case of like just to get something talked about. It'll have to yeah, be yeah. paid for because yeah. I get it. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not faulting any of the sites that do that. It's just that's their that's their model, you know. Yeah, and and that's I, I get it. Like if you go back in the day, there was probably three advertisers in some of the bigger magazines, and they write it like the deal was Outriders on the cover, Outriders in the center spread. It was like they that was why those brands did good because they paid the, the magazine to be a paper advertisement. It's mm -hmm. just that was a, that was the nature of it back then right right and that's just the way it is the way it was i guess you could yeah. say i mean that's you know you could it happens today with news channels on tv it's just the same shit yeah yeah it's a tough line to walk but i i hope that 
I hope we see things start to kind of, I don't know the word I want to use. Not, not necessarily the media side of things, but just in general, I hope things start to take a turn. Yeah. I mean, I, don't, I definitely don't know the answer. I, from In the BMX side of things, I, I do feel that the, 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 the margin side of things has is, is always been a, like, a, like a, I think an Achilles heel for BMX, you know? Mm-hmm. The pricing on things, because I think just generationally, kids have been taught that BMX, even though they don't think it's affordable, if they had to go and buy a mountain bike or a road bike, they would realize how affordable it really is. Yeah. And for what they're getting for their money, the technology that's packed into that bike, like when you look at a, a fly bike or, or, I don't know, any number Colts or Fits or S&Ms, what did, invest casting, you know. Mm-hmm. Dude, it's insane. The technology, that, that technology has propelled bike riding in general because of what a bike has to go through in a BMX. Right. I mean, all you have to do to see the technology is compare it to a bike from 20 years ago. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Look at what a, you know, a GT performer looked like when those were the complete bike that you would buy. Yep. And compare it to a bike today. and Just look at what one could go through versus the other. It's honestly pretty crazy because I grew up in that time and I saw those dudes do the shit they did on those bikes. And they're like the essentially the worst complete bike you could buy today from any not some the worst but the most affordable version of a complete bike from fit or or colt or sabroso or whoever is better than the completes that the pros rode back in the day yeah one piece cranks on a shafted stem bmx bikes today that you don't see one piece cranks they're all three piece they got a clamp on stem like those dudes are those dudes are riding tri molly single wall rims, and they're trying nine hundreds. Nothing makes me appreciate that more than being at the vert ramp in at Woodward, because yeah. you see the vert ramp, and that is what people used to ride with those bikes. Yeah. And you're like, people today don't even want to drop in on this on a bike that yeah. is made yeah. to be thrown off of this and be okay. <laughs> like there's just like me me and my friends who grew up like back then and rode and like. We had the shafted stems where the headset had to fit on the outside, so it was one size, and it had to be a certain size on the inside for the stem to fit in there. So you couldn't beef that up any, there's no way of beefing it up. Mm-hmm. You might use better materials, and we would bend our forks constantly, and then <laughs> t- turn our bike on the end, bend the forks back. Oh my God. Then, then keep riding, and then bend them back again, then ride them and bend them. And it was like, just like a hinge. The back paper ahead. clip effect. You Dude, bend so it, it enough. <laughs> and it's crazy today, if you bend a pair of forks, you throw them away. But they're mm. ten times the fork that we had. Ten times the fork. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, man. That somebody just left a comment the other day saying how that they asked me like a, what I would recommend because they had been collecting parts and they had a a crank that had been used and it was bent at like the pedal boss and they wanted yep. to bend it back so they could give it to somebody who could use it. And I was like, no, yeah. never do not yeah. do that. Yeah. That's, that's one of the biggest problems is you like people who pass on secondhand stuff. That's scary. You yeah. don't know what's been through. Yeah, man. I know people who like brag about, Oh, I've been riding this frame for 10 years and I'm like, stop. That's nothing to be proud of. No, it's not. Yeah. 
it's scary shit. Especially when it's people who can afford to to get something else and yeah. be way safer. Like, yes, I'm proud of you for being able to ride that S and M frame for ten years and not break it. It's yeah. great. S and M makes a fantastic frame, but I don't want to see you die for the chance when the metal is gonna fail because it's gonna happen. Metal isn't. It might be the strongest frame ever, but it is not made to last forever for you no, riding it. it. I mean, yeah, it has a you know, there's a fatigue point. Even even the most mild, like impacts, at some point it will, the cycles of the impacts will just at some point it's going to give out. Yep. Yeah. That's why it's super important. Yeah, you keep on keep an eye on your shit, man. Like if someone's you know, if you see a little bit of paint cracking or something, pay more attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah I, I, yeah, I hate to see situations where people would end up getting hurt because they ride something for a long period of time. And that's part of the price increase conversation, too, because I'm sure mm-hmm. that's going to make people ride things for longer. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. But, I mean, the, the, the level of riding now, like, dude, like, the abuses these bikes go through, man, like it's pretty amazing like mm-hmm. you know like three and down a, a 20 set of stairs man like you, you can't expect shit to last forever right that video and, then, uh, and maybe maybe it's an educational thing like teaching people like dude you know you might pay 700 bucks for a frame but and somebody somebody broke it down the other day that like how many sessions do you get for that 700 dollars? yes like, you know it's like I think you you might have said it. I think that might have been me. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was you. So it was like, <laughs> so if you get, you know, three hundred sessions out of out of a seven hundred dollar frame, you're essentially paying two dollars and ten cents a session. Like it's fucking like that's nothing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And to write to write something that's super safe, and something that you love doing. Like, I people will break stuff down like that for their budget in like other terms of their life but that i don't think people make the connection that you can do that with any part of your life and and like like your car it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a good way to look at it you drive your car every single day and yep. you drive it for this many years you're getting this much value per day out of your car and you have to determine is it worth it yeah and the bmx side is definitely part of it yeah yeah, yeah. no i know it's, it's insane and at least with the car, you can see the mileage that you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, am I keeping you? Do you gotta go? No, no. Okay. <laughs> I don't wanna. I don't wanna. No, dude. I'm. I'm, I'm good, man. I'm I don't wanna get you in trouble. Keep it. You didn't get me in trouble. Uh. No, I've been liking these questions you've been asking me about my thoughts on things. No, it's cool, man. Just you know, I get asked a lot of stuff, so I'm like, just you know, just figure that fire back. Yeah, it's stuff that I hadn't necessarily thought about too, which is good. Yeah. Of course, yeah. the airport. Yeah, no, I'm John Wayne Airport. The Orange County Airport is like right here. It flies over my house. Nice. No, it sucks when I'm trying to talk to people. But or sleep. Can, <laughs> well, they cut it off at 10 p.m. Oh. Um, it's convenient when I don't want to travel. Yeah, I'm sure. Then you don't have yeah. to pay for parking. Yeah, I, yeah. It's easy. Um. Yeah, I. The one thing I was gonna say earlier, and I don't know how much you'd be involved with like the actual like shoes part of that, is I appreciate the variety of things that they've been coming out with. Yeah. It's. 
it's a good and bad thing because the company is not necessarily as big as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Trying to make sure you do an effective job of marketing all those, and you can, you know, uh, um, like effectively push that the line how broad it is out. Like, because uh, a lot of man hours to design it, but it's also a lot of time to create all the all the photography for it, the the catalog assets, any marketing assets. So. And that, and that ties back to any kind of marketing budget, like it's just because it all costs money and video content, photos or whatever. But yep. it is definitely like they have a broad array of stuff, like for whatever taste you might have, so, and that is pretty rad. Yeah, I was. I appreciate the fact that you could get everything from a slip-on to a normal like low-top shoe to a kind of like medium higher top. Yeah, and then, yeah. and then you could yep. if you like. If you're like me and you like having bricks on your feet so you don't ever mm-hmm. have to worry about hurting your feet, you can yep. get like one of the mountain bike style shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They've been killing it, man. Like people are loving it. Like all those shoes. Which is cool. Yeah, I just I think for so long in BMX there was a lack of like a hardcore shoe that was mm-hmm. like tough as nails. Like you could yeah. not have to worry about your feet in, so the fact yeah. that those are starting to pop up everywhere it's, yeah it's good so like i'll get met like i'll randomly post like somebody will post like an old joe rich shoe or a taj shoe on on their like early 2000s bmx or whatever and i'll repost it because it's fun you know mm-hmm. but then i'll get a bunch of messages like well, you guys need to remake that and, blah, blah. <laughs> and and as much as i you know i understand it and i get it i think that i think the the fantasy is very different from the reality of what that shoe is and what it would be today like number one we we can't remake those shoes just so everybody knows because like we don't own the outsoles they were from other factories so it would cost tens of thousands of dollars to produce those outsoles Mm -hmm. Um, but those shoes were like good for the time but they were like riding in two by fours yeah that's uh there's a philosophy thing that comes up with this. I can't remember what the term was, but I can remember learning about it and talking about it in that like the the realization of your fantasy is never as good as the fantasy just so. Yes. You know, it goes back to the same thing when like you 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 ride during a period of time and that's the time you live in, so you everything about that time whether it be like metal bikes or or solid bikes or, or you know the the, the the Joe Rich shoe the rooftop shoe or the Taj shoe or Ruben shoe or whatever like you live in that period of time when that was the best thing for you but the reality of it is like far departure from like the shoes we have now are, are way better made better materials um, hold up better like it's just they may not be the, the brick that you like back then but it's a different kind of brick right exactly yeah I mean I have let me count uh, like 10 pairs of orchids in my closet right now yeah. because I was obsessed with orchid and I just yeah. bought a bunch they're, of them. They're a rad brand. But that's a good example of how hard the shoe business is. Like trying to get, like Derek realized how tough it was, man. Like trying to, and accounts, you know, trying to, you know, pre-sell stuff is it, dude. The shoe business is hard because you got all the sizes, all the colors. It's just, it's a tough business to be in oh yeah i mean that's why you always see the discounted biggest sizes and littlest maybe mm-hmm. not necessarily littlest because in men's shoes a kid could get a yeah yeah but like the biggest sizes 
<clears throat> yeah, I man, I can't imagine. I've never even thought about the fact of like sizes and colors. Yeah, it's. And then if that shoe doesn't do good for that season, all that time invested and all the you know all the work that went into it, it goes away, and that's essentially lost money. Like it's just, yeah. Some shoes resonate, some don't. Again, it goes back to predicting the fashion. You know, like it's it's dude, it's a hard business to be in, and anyone who sticks with it is pretty. You know, I admire, especially from a smaller brand standpoint. Like the bigger brands, I don't really. You know, they can, they they got they're powerhouses like Vans. You know, they got their they got like over a thousand stores globally and yeah they're in every other shop so they can just power through that shit like they're gonna be okay yeah yeah they're gonna do okay but i do think that because they have shareholders to appease that they at some point if they're not growing then they hit a ceiling that those shareholders may get you know a little peed off you know yeah yeah i can see that being a thing and that makes sense too uh yeah, it's, that's the trap that we've fallen in as, like, the world we live in is that it's always got to be better. You, yeah, you yeah. get record sales next time, you got to do better. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, there's, um, like, like I think, what is the brand? Um, Stussy. So Stussy has, you know, Stussy the apparel brand? No. They're still around. You look, you look up Stussy. Okay. Um, they've been around since late 80s, but from a business model they deliberately w- were satisfied staying a certain like X amount of SKUs they were happy just to stay there and if if they discontinue something they bring something to replace it so they won't ever they've never wanted to ever grow beyond a certain point yeah so they've never you never get dissatisfied if, you, if you're if you're happy with that hmm but I... people pe- people don't People don't look at things that way. Everyone wants to grow, right? Right. Man, you just taught me something. Yeah. <laughs> I never knew where that S thing that everyone would draw yeah. came from. Yeah, that's uh, Yeah. That's an interesting... I feel like that's rare. There's any... Yeah. Like, totally. Nobody's like that. But I'm sure, I'm sure inflation comes into consideration and, you know, you can't just take like if you want to stay at 50 million like you can't just keep like taking away in other areas to make sure you stay at 50 because of inflation but i'm sure it's all factored in but that was their philosophy is they just they were happy to be at this certain point and never really wanted to go beyond that because they knew at that point that it would become a beast that they couldn't handle yeah that's that's interesting and well it they've been around since the 80s so Yeah. yeah it works yeah, I'm not sure if they're still privately owned or not, but... Hmm. That's an interesting concept. I wonder if it then makes sense in BMX's eyes. Because it's like... Well, what you, it, it makes sense with what you said with the complete bikes, is that everybody thought they could go bigger, and then now yeah, they yeah. went too big. Yeah. Yeah, at some point you hit a ceiling. And then when you hit that ceiling and you've got a warehouse full of bikes and nobody wants to take those bikes, what do you do? You start discounting, and you just stop fucking sell them to the nearest buyer you know you're just trying to get rid of them and then it's just devaluing your brand and um i don't know it seems like it would be a cycle because you hit that ceiling and then you realize oh crap so then you scale back 
and then you do order less and you almost create it out of necessity or yeah. learning but I, th- I think too the, the you're only going to have so many kids on new complete bikes like right. at some point they're going to go to the aftermarket stuff right yep well you would hope they would so it's a it's a moving target too because the yeah. number of kids who are starting to ride each year is always going to be shifting and yeah yeah this is such a hard thing to predict but that's why i always say just i feel like if the if if quantities were lower but the demand was higher you would never ever have this overstock yeah you may you may run into oh we don't have it We'll be yeah, but, you, but, but but that's where you, as a brand, you've got to be humble and be satisfied with that. Yeah, man, that's it's a tough thing. It's economics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't claim to know all of it, but that's just my mind. That's kind of where I'm at. Like that's how I think about things. Yeah, it's interesting. Like like a brand like T1, they've they've like Joe has created such demand, and he's always got return customers like and he's always sold out like but he's happy where he's at he's just yeah. happy doing what he does and so it does a pretty exist cool thing. in bmx yeah <laughs> it's, it's not but i don't think it's intentional i just think that's how you know joe's never abided by seasons like some of these brands do like mm-hmm. that's cool to think about honestly yeah yeah it's interesting right yeah stuff that gets me think i found myself lately just wanting to learn about all yeah. this stuff yeah the one thing that's really been intriguing me lately with all of this inflation stuff is when people relate it to another period in time because mm-hmm. inflation is something that's gone up and down throughout the years yeah. and the question i always ask people is like well how did it end how did we get out of inflation like uh, we still printing money oh okay uh yeah, because the money is so devalued now that um, the, the the individual unit of a dollar is way less than it was ten years ago. Right. So you, you, so you need more of them to make up the value of something. Right. And and what somebody explained to me, I think it might have even been Keith, was mm-hmm. that uh, if the price of something goes up so much, then you're going to either have people who either can afford it or don't want to buy it at that price. Mm-hmm. So the demand goes down, your supply goes up, price goes down to meet where the demand is at. Yeah, and that's true. That's true too. And I guess that might be how it works to get yeah. things back down. But I'm not an economist. I don't know. No, me, no I have no. I've, yeah, I don't claim to know any of that shit. Me either just fascinating to learn about those things and learn about the the shoe world and the yeah, but all factors the economics of everything factors into what we do right like it's, it's all it's, it's it's kind of relative relative on some level yeah it, it to to an extent i mean not necessarily to an extent it's a hundred percent relative it's just how much yeah. attention do yeah, people yeah. who aren't directly involved with it want to pay attention to it yeah i mean kids don't care they just want to ride their bikes you know but if they paid more attention to it, they'd realize there's a reason why things go up, and mm-hmm. and there's there's a need for things to go up. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know, it's intriguing stuff to put thought into. For sure. Oh, holy shit! Two hours and forty minutes. 
Jesus Christ. We're kicking ass. <laughs> Good deal. Uh, yeah. I went by quick. Yeah, dude. Uh, I'm trying to think. Is there is there anything else that you had been thinking about recently or wanted to talk about? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we covered mostly everything. Yeah, oh, the one, th- one thing I th- was thinking about, like uh, I said this before, and I, I did a thing with uh, Dale Holmes, the UK BMX guy. He's doing the BMX, UK BMX Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. It was weird, like, and, and I think this happens everywhere around the world and regionally in the country. But you know, growing up in the UK, we always looked at magazines and sunny Southern California, and but there was people that we all rode with at the time that you know we always thought the US riders were like just head and shoulders above everybody mm-hmm. and then once I once the dudes that, who were the best in the UK came to the US they realized they realized it wasn't necessarily the case mm-hmm. you know it was interesting and it's interesting dynamic because we always put these people on a pedestal whether it be the you know the Eddie Fiolas or Dominguez or Matt Hoffman or but yet there's writers back in the day from like Craig Campbell and and um, Lee Reynolds and Neil Ruffle and all these dudes like that were just pushing so hard but we they thought that the u.s was better but when they got here they realized oh no we're kind of on par or better it was pretty interesting i I think that happens regionally everywhere you know oh yeah it's less probably so with the internet internet and social media where you can just see but i can imagine that being very prevalent back before the internet when the people who were getting pushed out there were the people who were like it directly knew yeah. the industry yeah. or around the industry of BMX, which was pretty centrally located. I mean, yeah. 20, 30 years ago, how many UK companies in BMX were even in existence? Well, a lot of the riders were sponsored by US companies that came over there and had distributors over in the UK, but there were UK brands as well. Would it, would you say the majority would have been U.S. based, though? Yeah, 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 mainly U.S. based. So the most of what you're seeing are people who are based in the U.S. and yeah, maybe it was like yeah. glorified. Then, yeah, there was. I mean, there's a couple of you know, there's a couple of magazines, and that was all we could base our riding off of. You know, like yeah, yeah. That's that's crazy to think about. It's something that probably exists a bit today, but. Yeah, no, the internet has, has definitely like narrowed down that window of like everything. Like it's made the world so much smaller, you know. Mm-hmm. One thing I have noticed in thinking about comparisons with like U.S. U.K. is that there are way, way, way more indoor skate parks over there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how they. I don't eat. Like I don't know how they afford it. Like I don't know how they. I, I think some of them are like subsidized by the cities. I think so, I've heard that too. So it probably helps a lot. But yeah, like. Any any parks out here don't last very long, you know. Indoor parks, like, and if mm-hmm. they do, you, it's quite surprising. Yeah, it seems like every other week I see a post from like that ride on BMX Facebook group. Yeah, it's like sad yeah. to see this indoor park go, and I'm like, dude, I never even heard of that. Yeah, yeah. is Changa still there? Changa two is. Changa two, yeah, yeah. The original, Chinga. obviously, no. Yeah, yeah. Changa one was awesome. Um, yeah, Changa two, I've been there. Yeah, the place is cool. It's mainly scooter kids these days seems like pay pay the bills yeah but uh it's still there my buddy Mm -hmm. trevor just did a contest there in april yeah 
it was a really good contest for that yeah. the fact that like what he was going for and what he really 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 wants to achieve is a contest that feels like the ones that happened back in the heyday of Chenga yeah, and the flow yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's sick those are good ones yeah and he's trying yeah. to do that and it's it's hard because at those periods of time like the big name people and the up and coming guys who are pro today we're all yep. kind of like we're everybody was kind of centrally located yeah at that t- time period so you could get all these people out to a contest yeah, in ohio yeah. but now everyone's so spread out that it's like yeah you're not going to get that near that m- many big names at yeah. one place at one time but yeah considering the people like the local guys that came out like the level of riding was still top tier pro level i could i could could imagine i can imagine yeah i just had a funny thought back in the 80s when the skate parks were like you know in their heyday like the mid 80s um and then skateboarding kind of died off and then bmx kind of kept them alive because bmx was coming up we were kind of the scooters at the time (laughs) oh damn you're right yeah yeah so it's pretty i I just had had a funny thought when you mentioned scooters at chenga too that's interesting i wonder if i wonder if that's any part of why like skateboard looked negatively at bmxing i don't know i don't either they have like nowadays they have or it's it's better now but for a period of time it was like this is our toy you can't play with it like Mm. because it's called a skate park so they think that i mean there's a whole a whole other thing but yeah it's a total just stupid yeah it's ridiculous like but anyways uh yeah chang is still here we've got uh rays yeah rays is so much freaking fun you have to hit me up if you ever come back out yeah you know like every i went there my first time there was with taj and sandy carson and it, it was one of the best times i've ever had on my bike it was so much fun was that when taj jumped the gap uh no it was before that oh okay it's pretty rad that that clip's doing the rounds right now. Yeah, well, the thing about that is that there's a local kid who tried it a couple times, mm-hmm. and he posts it up right after they post that. Like, looks like it's time for me to get this done. Oh, shit. Really? Yeah, he he got, like, pretty... He went down pretty rough. And then yeah. another dude, Aaron Simone, tried it yeah. a couple years ago, and he crashed so hard. <laughs> It's not funny, but it kind of is. And you realize that that's, that's Taj's opposite way as well. Ah, it's even more insane. Yeah, yeah, it's opposite. Wow. Yeah, and thread, the, thread the needle. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, you look at it and you're like, I mean, I could see how this might work. But then yeah. you look at it for real and you're like, there's yeah. no way. And you realize how, how good Taj really, really was. Well, he didn't get it first try either, so it was no, the, no, 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 it was no. the determination and yeah. the level of riding he was at. Yeah. Just eat it super, super hard and still mm. get back up and do it. Yeah, that's that's why he can't ride today, because he kind of broke off. Yeah, it's, that's part of it for sure, and that's what, yeah. like, that's what happens with these couple people who have tried this thing, is that they, like, 
you drift out from that wall at all and you're falling mm-hmm. 20 feet to the ground and that's kind of mm-hmm. a couple times that happened yeah uh, the Taj tucked it right in that V right in that V like mm-hmm. perfect it was insane yeah I think I mean Sundays are the only days they're open right now really it might be a good day to be at Ray's on Sunday <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, make sure you film it yeah I won't be I won't be there but okay. I'm, maybe I will it's an hour Okay. I'm yeah, I, I've got plans to go to southern Ohio tomorrow and Saturday, so we'll see. Cool. Cool. All right, dude, we'll wrap it up. Yeah, it's almost three hours. So uh if if people want to check out some of the things that you're involved in, where might they be able to find that? Um I, I do all the posts on Anthony's bike and then my Instagram is John underscore Pova. And then I also run the, uh, yeah, with my friend Xavier, we run the old school BMX reunion at Woodward West every year. Oh, cool. So uh, Instagram is OSBMXR official, old school BMXR reunion official, OSBMXR. And yeah, that's about it for now. For sure. Yeah. Also social media. I didn't know that you were involved with that. That's awesome. Yeah, Steve Swope started it, um, but he's... It was kind of conflict of interest because he works for Wood at Woodward now, mm. and uh, so he passed it off to my friend Xavier and I. Awesome. When's the next yeah. one? September second through fourth. It's invite only, um, but all the top legends show up like Bob Haro and Arnold Osborne and Mike Buff and Mike Dominguez and Brian Black there, Dave Bolker, like any anyone and everybody from back in the eighties who was in, like a pivotal person in the sport. That's super sick. They they always show up. It's a really good time. Like, good time for a bunch of old folks to get together. <laughs> awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, man. It's been a fun time learning about all yeah. the things that we've talked about. It's been rad talking, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, we'll maybe have to do this again one day. And, uh, Heck yeah. Until then, everybody, make sure you check out what John's got going on. And we'll see you tomorrow at 10 a.m. for the news video. Good night. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Okay. We're out then.